Welcome to Splintercast, not a Brandon Sandersold podcast. We're a bunch of mega fans here to chat about things that aren't Brandon's works or the Cosmere. This is our new experimental spin-off show where we can talk about anything and everything we want. And to kick things off, we're talking one of 17th Shard's most recommended book series, Cradle by Will White. I'm Ala, and joining me on this adventure is Evgeny. Hi, I'm Argent, and I'm very confused because unlike Eric, Allah did not do a countdown, and so I was like fixing my beard, and I was, and I was scratching my butt, and then she was like, "We're live! We're live, baby! This is all so, organic, so free-fed." Congratulations on on your all-natural, grass-fed, free-range, cage-free, Argent and his beard. <laughs> oh no. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. And also joining me is Shannon. Oh, hi. Uh, I'm Gray, or sometimes Gray Watch, depending on where you find me. Um, I am excited to be here. I also have a drink, but it's tea. It's not um, alcoholic like Evgeny is. So, <laughs> cheers. <laughs> Moving on, we have Ben. Hello. Um, I'm Ben, also sometimes known as Overlord Jeebus on other things. I'm here, I've just finished my tea, and then I've finished my water, uh, and then Evgeny got an alcoholic drink, so I reached over and grabbed, I have a crate of Budweiser next to me, left over from a stag do, and so I'm having a bud. So that's that's my how I'm doing. How is everyone wow. else? Yeah. <laughs> You're in the <laughs> opening, <laughs> opening splinter cast we are doing already splinter cast after hours <laughs> after hours no this ain't no shard cast no. this is this is we're, we're, we're free and it's, wild it's definitely after hours in the uk um, oh yes finally last but not least joining us is ian hey i'm weird writer and i am drinking regular lemonade Woo! no alcohol and i just want to <laughs> Point out that we have claimed the abandoned title of Splinter Cast. Long, long abandoned. Back in the shadow days that it used to be Alex's reaction podcast. But it is, it is dead and gone. And we have dug it up. Taken off the fallen title. <laughs> this is like press F to pay, to pay respects. And all the, <laughs> the most original, you know, use of the meme. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, that was like before we even have had cameras, I think. Mm. Mm. Oh yeah, Way was, it was like was before early. Shardcast came back in its current iteration. Yeah, yeah, long before. But we had a long conversation over multiple days and channels, and we decided that it feels appropriate that our spinoff show will, our Splinter show, if you will, um, will. Uh, we'll have the name Sprintercast. Yeah. Yep. We we talked about Slivercast. Yeah. That, that didn't feel right. I think mm-hmm. we mentioned Avatarcast. That has confusions with yeah. Legend of Korra. Multiple, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Multiple properties. Yeah. Also, Avatar, Avatar, Avatar and... all blue. Yeah. Avatar and Sliver also have, like, chain, like weird definition problems in the Cosmere. We, Splinter's nice. We know what Splinter is. We, we, we got yeah. this Yep. One. Yep. I'm Rassar and I'm drinking iced tea. Nice. <laughs> is that a As beefalo? I always do. It's it's the only drink I'm drinking. Hmm? Yeah. Was that a beefalo on your... That's a Banfa from Star Wars. 
Oh, yeah, that makes a lot more sense. From, okay. It's nice. from a convention from like 10 years ago. There's this annual convention here called Star Force where they always make a themed mug from every year. Oh, this wow. one is, I don't, I don't remember which year this is. A, this one is from. Nice. Nice. Okay, so this was, this was our show and tell, I suppose. Hard <laughs> yeah. so, drinks. So before we kick things off, just a quick note about spoilers and how we'll be handling them in this episode, because this isn't our usual content, as you may have already gathered. And so we can't expect everyone watching to already have read Cradle. So we'll be dividing this episode into three sections with three different levels of spoiler. First, there won't be any spoilers beyond what the series is generally about. So if you haven't read the Cradle and are interested in maybe trying it, and that when that section ends, this is where you should probably turn off the video. <laughs> or don't watch all the spoilers. It worked for me. <laughs> yes, Rasar. <laughs> <laughs> Who would ever do that? Guilty as charged. <gasps> but yeah, in the in the second section, uh, we'll be talking all the way to Reaper, which is book ten of the series. And finally, at the end of the episode, we'll discuss the latest book, Dreadgod, and the upcoming final book of the series. Way bound. Way bound. Oh, I didn't know we had a name. There we go. Yep. Yeah. It's at the end it of the it. of Dreadgod. I my eyes go right over those pages. Um. <laughs> it's also not in the audiobook, so I did not oh. hear oh, it. Yeah. It's a good name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, so with all those titles and spoiler policy out of the way, let's get started. Cradle is a surprisingly popular series in our Discord server, but many of you who are now watching us have maybe never heard of it or never tried it, so let's begin with talking about what Cradle even is. Okay, so you know, when you have a baby and you gotta put the baby somewhere, oh, yeah, you put them in a cradle. Uh, oh, was- sometimes... When you have a cat, you also put the cat in the cradle. Uh, it goes... In the silver spoon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you... That's a cat's cradle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Ruined my bit, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. I mean, um, it's such a good song. I, that, I was going into the silver spoon. <laughs> it, is, it is a really good song. Anyway. Yeah. Um, so, Cradle is a series by Will White. Or as Daniel Green calls him, Will White. Will White. Um, and it is it is notable uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, one of them is that well, first of all, it's a it's just a fun series. It's a good series. Uh, I would recommend most people read it just as a it's a face value recommendation, right? It's just it's just good fun. Um, but one of the reasons it has been very popular with like within the Cosmere circles is because it is a part of a connected universe in the same way that many of the books, well, by definition, all of the books in the Cosmere are, right? So you have the, the Kratos series, which takes place mostly on one world and things that happen there. Uh, you have not the final empire, uh, the Elder Empire, which takes place in a different world. And you have the Traveler's Gate series, which is yet on a, on a third one. And all of these worlds, much like 
a Cosmere world, uh, have their own stories with their own characters, and then there is like an overarching stuff, like greater narrative um, that touches on the concept of the way, which is like a multiverse uh, that connects all of these individual worlds, which are kind of called iterations in uh, in the willverse speak or um, well, no, I, I can't I can't really coin the ways mirror because then that, that makes it <laughs> that's, sound like a that's terrible. Thing. Yeah, nah, that's it, it, and it's also terrible. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Uh, but people have been calling this connected universe the willverse. Yeah, after Will White. So. Cradle. Cradle's kind of the, the the big name in the series. Uh, it's got 11 books so far. Uh, the final 12th one should be coming out. I don't have the date off the top of my head, but I would expect like within the next year or so, uh, Will has been crunching through these things. There is about um, six months between book releases with Will White. He just blows these things out of uh, his production line. <laughs> You know, and they're what like between four hundred and seven hundred pages each. Yeah, they're they're super su- super short, super snappy, and they come out very regularly. And so, they're... yeah, I like I like that we are in a community that can look that at a book that is between four hundred and seven hundred pages long and say, "Oh, this is short, short and snappy." Yeah, short snappy. Yeah. So that's why twelve books sounds like a lot, but you will just. You just fly through these. It is, they mm-hmm. are, because they're, they're short, snappy, and you just, the pace of the books within them, super quick. Very fast-paced. And also, while there is depth to, like, the world and the characters, we don't explore much of that depth in the books. And so, if you, like, stop reading and pause and think about things, there is things to think about. But if you just want to like enjoy a good story, you can stay on the surface and just look beneath the surface without diving and just sprint through the entire book. Yeah, people so, call them very, popcorn books for yeah. a reason. You know, it's sort of like you can you can just treat them like popcorn or candy. You know, you just pop them in, you eat it, and you don't have to think too much about it if you don't want to. You, you know, it's sort of like no one's going to be mad at you if you recommend popcorn and and you get and you you're like I wanted cake. No, I told you this was popcorn. Yeah. Um. You know, like that's popcorn, that's kind of cake. the level of <laughs> that's the kind of the level here. Yeah. I think the last thing I want to say about Cradle that is kind of generic overview uh type of deal is that uh, i want to touch on the world building just a little bit it's a it's a world where so it's a it's a fantasy world in that there's primarily magic there is technology but it's also driven by the magic and the idea is that everyone pretty much everyone on that world has access to the magic uh, but they have access to different flavors of it there are you can you can think of it as, as something very similar to elemental magic where uh, different people have access to different combinations and expressions of the element, which they call their path. And so you can, you can have one person who is on a path that combines fire and destruction, for example, and their magic is going to look one way, and you can have a different person who combines the same elements in a different path, and their magic is going to share some elements with the first person, but it's also going to be different in some ways and you can have a third person whose access to the elements is you know water and dreams or whatever and then the things they do and the way they do them is going to be 
way 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 different from from the first two and you can you can get like a near infinite number of combinations with this mm -hmm. which makes for one fun characters with fun paths uh that are fun to read about and explore and two just very very like wide world with varied world building so and I, and I think one thing that i think is why this series appeals to people in the brenner Sanderson community specifically like there there is a, a large crossover online between these two communities is the 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 well-defined magic system which is those paths is the the abilities within those paths are very well defined and then they those within those definitions they're very then cleverly used which is you know a very common feature of brennan's books where he he mm -hmm. plays with the magics in clever ways and that's something that happens a lot in these books as well where you get these well-defined abilities within the paths and then the characters then utilize those abilities in clever and fun ways i also think one of like the the less surface level reason there's like a crossover between brandon and uh, will white here is like they both kind of believe in the rule of cool is that um if it you know they, there's a big focus on like you know what if we're gonna do this why not make it look cool why not make it look rad you know yeah. and you know like and it's it's has has its own satisfaction to that you know i don't think it's i don't think it's necessarily a sign of like childishness or or, or shallowness it's it's its own thing and i think like there's, there's there's something to be said for just like reading and going like wow that was cool that was cool <laughs> that ruled Anderson's zeroth law always on air on the side of what's awesome yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know awesome you know things is? are awesome what, what this is is so brandon's books are like a good fantasy movie that has been made into into a book right there are moments in those books that you can clearly see as if they were on the big screen and and the way brandon describes them is very cinematic yeah cradle is anime written hey, into 100 into a book. yep <laughs> yep um, but you know without a lot of the cheesy stuff that comes with with anime right <laughs> yeah all the fat trimmed off all of it so speaking of magic and anime and all that jazz it's probably worth talking about what exactly genre cradle is so i can take that uh it's romance <laughs> <laughs> the Absolutely. joke there is will hates writing romance <laughs> it's in any of his series yeah. <laughs> it is incredibly yeah. easy to forget there that is the characters very couples on screen are couples <laughs> there's very there's very little romance or sexuality in these books or even sensuousness whatsoever. Like, there's mm. none of that. <laughs> so, Cradle is often considered like a Western take on the cultivation genre, which is, or more properly, like the Eastern term, like Shanshia. Uh, cultivation fantasy? Yeah, cultivation fantasy. And generally draws a lot on. Chinese mythology, like Taoism. And like there are a few key things like sacred treasures, like taking elixirs to enhance yourself, like kind of improving your soul uh, by bringing in like spiritual mumbo jumbo. <laughs> and there are there are heavy themes of like somebody starting at the bottom and 
growing to a cosmic scale in terms of power. But uh, it's also kind of a flagship series in progression fantasy, which is a more Western term that includes a lot of different things like and there's overlap with things like lit RPG, game lit, Shanxia, shonen battle manga, light novel, uh, like yeah. isekai stuff, which like yeah. at its core is um, about like, focusing on characters increasing in power and skill over time. And like some would argue, Stormlight Archive is progression fantasy because there are the the scale of the odes. It's an argument you could make, and I can see the comparison, but like I would also say probably very few of us would agree that it is a progression fantasy, but I, I think we all can see why it they do progress in Stormlight Archive. Yeah. They progress through yeah, uh, but the power books levels. Like, it the is books very are... much about like the progression. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. You do like the basic plot of Cradle is the guy who believes he has no magic powers gets a message from Angel saying can totally have magic powers and decides he's going to have the magicest powers That's he does oh boy oh boy he does <laughs> my, my my understanding is that one of the one of the pillars of cultivation fantasy and progression fantasy is acquiring power for power's sake which is not something we see in stormlight like yeah. in stormlight it's more of a a consequence of your characters building your your character's progression that they get stronger in in progression fantasy it's i will be stronger because i want to be stronger Join i, I me mean i on the journey i feel like that is very reductive like it's, it is very reductive. growing stronger it's not necessarily about growing stronger for strong being just to be stronger oftentimes people have reasons they want to be stronger okay all right i'll continue like, that point like with Lyndon, it's like he doesn't want to be stronger. Lyndon is the main character stronger. of this series. Oh, yeah, Lyndon. Um, yeah, we should, we should yeah. still leave with that. Yeah. He, he's the guy who wants to have the magicest powers of all. Yes, but for a very specific reason. Yeah, but yeah, those books are very much about becoming more powerful. So there are entire books in the series where the main goal of the plot is we want to gain another level in the power system. So. I, I am not an anime guy. I'm not a manga guy. Um, I have I have tried both of these a little bit in my teen years, and they were just not genres that I found compelling. My understanding is that Western audiences might be most familiar with this wide genre of storytelling from pieces like Bleach, uh, which I have actually seen quite a bit of. I haven't seen Naruto, but I imagine there is some some of that stuff going on there. Having having seen some of the some of the, some of the gifts, I think there's power growth happening in there. I, I saying, mean, for, for me, you go. I hope this isn't the thing you are about to say, but I know for me, like. Dragon Ball Z. That's exactly I what I was going to say. Yeah, that's a much the, the, better. The fights remind yeah. me of Dragon Ball Z so much, mm-hmm. and there's so many. The, the, do you remember the in Dragon Ball Z the Super Saiyan three moment where 
Goku reveals Super Saiyan 3, I feel like that happens like at least once a book where it's like, here's this really <laughs> cool jump in power that happens and it's, it's really cool. To, to wrap up this slightly chaotic introduction, <laughs> uh, do, uh, I assume okay. everyone on this on this podcast would want to recommend this book to read. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, so yeah like why I recommend it. It's like I had the feeling of, you know, when you're 14 and you are like creating your OCs for the first time and they are so looking back on them, they are so self-indulgent and like uh <laughs> and what do like you mean 14 <laughs> <laughs> hey like the way i make ocs now is different than when i was like in high school but you know like it was sort of like and they have purple hair and they can do this and they can shoot lightning and then but not they don't have to just shoot lightning they can do all this other cool stuff too and they have swords you know like and it feels like the most like self-indulgent like but completely without embarrassment and it's like oh it's like it's it's pure id and it like reminds me of like the best parts of being 14 without like having to be like embarrassed about it it's just like oh you know what why not have purple hair and lightning and swords and stuff and all this kind of thing it's it feels so fun and it feels like the best parts of being 14 and when you're making characters for the first time it's yeah that's that's how it made me feel um when yeah. i was re when i read cradle uh so just that's that's why i like it and why i recommend it yeah, it's taking yeah. those cringy 14-year-old OCs and then making them actually good without changing what they are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Unironically, earnestly, that's and great. It's earnest, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> so so um, that it, it packs it in some really cool world building. Like, I, I really... The setting of Cradle is very much designed to facilitate people smashing into it, each other with magic <laughs> powers. Yeah. But it's a really, it's a really cool setting. Even like aside from doing that job, uh, smashing people smashing into each other with magic is baked into the setting very well. And yeah, Absolutely. I will say it's for me personally. It was a series that took its time to grow on me. <laughs> yeah, I, did it? Did yeah. it actually grow? Oh, I guess you're in this episode, so we <laughs> I, guess I am. I am here, so yeah. I would say. The first time I tried reading Cradle, I ended up dropping it like two thirds through the book, the second book. Mm. So you know, not not very far in a twelve book series. Yeah. I'd say mm. if if you are already liking the book by book one, then you are probably going to enjoy it to the end. If you're not liking it by book one, I'd say give yourself until like book three. And if you still don't like it anything about it by book three, then it's probably not a series for you. Mm -hmm. But if you do like it by book three, then it's only getting better. Yeah, I I was actually after I finished book one, I I actually was like not sure about it. I was I I almost it was almost a whim when I was like, well, this is like three bucks. I'll read book two, sure. And then book two is when I was like, oh yeah, okay, okay, okay. Uh, but I was like, after book one, I wasn't totally sure I was going to keep reading it. So uh, it uh, they're short enough that I think it's not a huge mm -hmm. time commitment if you mm -hmm. want to get to. They go yeah. free pretty often. They do. But for me, I I have read all of these um, in audiobook form. Travis Baldry does a fantastic job. But when I first got exposed to it, it was because they were all on sale. So I bought, I bought the first one like 
I still had to buy them. So it, like it was oh, it, it was like sucker. It was like two dollars. <laughs> like the audiobooks never go for free. So it's like oh, yeah. okay. so they were like all like two or three bucks rather than like a uh, full credit. Yeah. So it's like I got the first one because like I've been seeing people chat about this. Like I want to give it a shot, and I listened to it. It's like okay, like is this something I'm gonna want to listen to? I think so. I'm just gonna buy all of the rest now. It it was cheap, and then I'm like, that was such a good decision because I'm like, these are amazing. Yeah, it is very worth bringing up that these books in ebook format regularly go free on a sale for free yeah mm-hmm. literally zero dollars you can get and, and this happens so consistently this happens before a new book comes out so mm-hmm. if you are a bit on the fence right now where money is tight or whatever wait but you're curious wait until a little bit before waybound which is going to be the final book in credo there is a very good chance all of the 11 books before that will just be for free on on amazon mm-hmm. uh for like a week or two or whatever or at but least outside of that, some of them. before a new before a new one, all of all of the previous ones. Go. Like, but I don't think be- not as yeah. Re- yeah, not these days mm-hmm. when there's that many. But yeah, mean mm-hmm. releases, some number of them usually yeah usually become free as well. So keep an eye. It's as cheap as it gets, right? Yeah. <laughs> the next step is Will White showing up at, at your front door and be just, like, "Here, have some books." Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and if you if you're not sure when that happens, the if you're on the short Discord server, the many fans the series has here will not miss telling you that yeah. Cradle is free. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I think for me, why I'd recommend the series is firstly the reason I got into it was because Evgeny, I think you were just off reading one of the books and you were on a high from it, and you were like, "This is my favorite fantasy series outside of Brandon Sanderson," and I was like, "That's yeah. high recommendation," and so that's yeah. enough to make me want to read it. So I read them, and yeah, for me, it's. They're so, like I said, all the fat is trimmed from the books. It is, it is just the cool stuff. And like sometimes I do wish there was a little bit more fat in these books, and that we did get to spend a bit more time out with these characters outside of just training and fighting and doing cool stuff. But they're so quick to eat, read. I suppose they eat. They're so quick to read <laughs> that they come out so regularly. I'm like, in between reading other books, they are just perfect little, just just a little snack, just a snacky book. Love them. So I, I didn't talk about why I would recommend them, uh, but I don't think I have much to contribute that others haven't said already. Cool characters, little fat, easy story, cool world building. I really like the world. I'll say that. I really like that it, the entire, not just Cradle, but the entire Willverse really feels like a Cosmere light type of thing in that it has, it's a, it's a, it's a multiverse, multiple series, very different series, hard magic systems, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but I but I do want to talk about one other thing that makes Will White and the Wilvers and Brian Sanderson and the Cosmere similar, and that is the kind of on a on a more not a meta level, but a but a, on a more personal level, the interaction between uh, author and fans. Right? As as Brandon fans, we are very used to like frequent communication and updates from Brandon, and kind of like this very personable relationship that we have with him and all of these things and a lot of that sometimes to a greater extent now that Brandon is very busy uh is something us Prado fans find in in those books and in this author and this extends as far as having their own instance 
of the software that powers Arcanum, they have their own version of that. They call it the Abaddon Archive, where Helenium. they collect Helenium is the Helenium is the software. Yes, that's that mm -hmm. important to anyone who's not a software developer. Um, <laughs> but but they have their own archive of words of will, uh, as they call them, and and there's a lot. Like outside of outside of Brandon and and Will, I don't think you're gonna find another author who has as much communication and like and they they serve exactly exactly the same purpose as as the words of Brandon do for us, right? They expand on the world, they reveal hidden things, they show us things that could have made it into the books but didn't because they were fat that needed to be trimmed. Uh, there's a couple of like AMAs and Q and As where it's one of my favorite events in there is there was a world building AMA or Q&A several years back where people where it was just world building questions and you can go and find so much more cool little things about the world that could never make it into the books so oh i need to read that uh, yeah, i have i have yeah, there, there's, there's stuff about like holidays and weird paths and historical events highly highly interesting to read yeah we'll we'll probably link this in the description here under under this video, if you, if you want to go snooping. So yeah, with this out of the way, if you haven't read those books, but we picked your interest, this is the time, this is the time when we stop restraining ourselves from talking spoilers. So if, if you want to read those books, then this is the time to turn off the video and go shopping and you can come back to it. I don't know, it's probably going to take you like two weeks to read through all of those, so... <laughs> yeah. First book is called Unsold, by the way. As in, you have... Oh, as in yeah. If, if you're searching sold. for it. Yeah. Or you or you can buy the, the Omnibus Foundation that has the first three books together. It has better covers, in my personal opinion. <laughs> yeah, with that, this let's, let's move on to talking about the series proper. Just without Dreadgod, up to this... Now we're talking up to Reaper. Oh, with the spoiler disclaimer out of the way, let's get to the meat of things or the plot. Oh, where do or we the, stand at this point? Or the, the plot? Story. Yeah. So uh, from the beginning, Lyndon is trying to save his, his home, Sacred Valley, and so has to quickly leave. He meets up with Yaren, Ethan, and then eventually later Mercy and a few others. <laughs> Did I pronounce it differently from you? Yes, I oh, say we're Ethan. Gonna, we're gonna. We're gonna <laughs> Oh. There's an I there. It's Ethan. It's Ethan. Um, <laughs> okay, Ethan's fine too. Um, so he meets up with you know he he gets he gets a posse and then slowly they, he has to get powerful enough to defeat these giant monsters called dread gods and so that's kind of his impetus for getting through the story. So he gets through. He gets super powerful and that's basically the plot over most of the books is he gets super powerful and. It, and then there's also kind of this subplot called like with the Abaddon and those are like the they're basically gods but they are still people who grew and rose up and basically these are the people who have progressed far enough that they are now existing on the in the cosmic level they, they they live up in space and they do they're way more powerful than anyone who lives on the planet cradle and so there's this whole plot where or subplot where things are going wrong in space but out here on Earth, Lyndon and his friends are still trying to get through and we're trying to see where we are until finally at the end of Reaper, 
they have actually managed to face down a dread god and at least pushed it off. So that's they've they've reached kind of the pinnacle of where Linden thought he was going to be right at the beginning of the book, and then right right then, Ethan turns out to be one of the Abaddon, and he has to go back to space. Uh, <laughs> And that's kind of the the thirty second version of like what's space. going on here. Space. <laughs> In my like, head, not, it's like space. <laughs> not just um, like a member of the Abaddon, which is like this huge multiversal organization. Yeah. He is one of the judges of the Abaddon court, who yes. are the tippity top. Didn't the court of seven. Mysterious, yeah. mysterious disappearance has been a driving point for that C plot. For eleven books now, <laughs> yeah. wow. Osriel the wow. Reaper. Oh man, you you undersold that reveal. Like <laughs> I didn't think anyone can undersell this hard, but you were like, "Watch me." <laughs> yeah. Ethan totally just turned around and a ladder dropped next to me. I must go. My planet needs me. But then, this is his planet. So it doesn't quite work. But he, he flies. He flies off into space because <laughs> he's a god. <laughs> yeah. So like, it's not even he doesn't even go to space. He like steps into yeah versus equivalent of Shadesmar. Yeah, which yeah. is more outer spacey. So yeah, that's just for people who okay. haven't read this far. We're assuming if you're watching this section, you probably have read the book, so we're not going to go too into explaining the plot. But you just, know what happened. You know what it's, happens, it's, but it's if you're a spoiler, if you're the person who reads on spoilers, that's the overarching uh, what's going on here and the context of everything we're about to talk about. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the plot. They get stronger. They fight um, gods. There was one more big reveal at the end of Reaper. Ooh. Which is that the Dread Gods, this whole problem, are a direct result of the monarchs, which is kind of like the, the <laughs> top of the scale in terms of Cradle, that they are not meant to stay on Cradle. They're supposed to get off and go to space. <laughs> but them staying is like, the world doesn't like it. So it creates hunger mod aura, and that leads to things like the Dread Gods. Yeah. Basically, it's like they're so powerful, they are actually causing the reality to warp and like warping around them. It's like the scale where the, the monarchs are putting so much power on it that the dread gods kind of form to compensate for it. Well, it's kind of this is something interesting. It's it's called Hunger Madra, which I think is super interesting based on like the themes of the story, which is about the ambition of getting stronger everything is about ambition and like the desire to be more be stronger be more powerful and that's kind of the what was really interesting to me it's sort of the ambition being the impetus for everyone getting stronger but if the if your ambition is stagnant it's sort of like it's almost as if everything what the character our main characters are here for which is they're here to get stronger and they're eventually going to leave the planet but it's like the villains are the people who are not doing that they're refusing to 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 continue on and be more than what they are and that's kind of it almost feels like that's what the reality warping is it's sort of like by the refusal to move on they're not obeying like the laws of the universe be stronger be more get better 
get more powerful mm. and they're just sitting where they are and like it's almost as if that is like the the reality warping of like now mm. things have gone wrong your your stagnant ambition is sitting here and it's attracting it's created something really bad in it's this like, universe you have to mm. have been a super ambitious it's like i always kind of see hunger uh, metric as also kind of like agreed it could also have been called kind of thing mm. it's they oh. had that ambition to reach monarch level but then now that they're at that level instead of they haven't got an outlet for that ambition anymore. It's they're just kind of that now they're sat there and that ambition is kind of just manifesting in the world and breaking it. Yeah. 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 Uh, at least on a thematic level, a lot of that is, is really cool and makes sense. And so the goals of the gang shifts, right? At the mm-hmm. at the very beginning, we were like, hey, we need to we need to get stronger so we become strong enough so we can beat up these dread gods that we know are coming to Sacred Valley. And now the goal is, hey, we need to be a little bit more stronger so we can bully all of, all of the monarchs out of this world because if we don't, the, the Dread God problem is not going to go away. Mm-hmm. Which Lind, is a realization Lyndon comes to and then he is sworn to secrecy <laughs> by one of those monarchs. And it's like, oh, this is how the monarchs have been keeping things quiet is like anybody who gets close gets sworn to secrecy magically just so they can keep the status quo should we start talking opinions guys should we should we start <laughs> talking about what we think of things yeah 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 let's let's throw some opinions out there don't microwave <laughs> your water yeah no <laughs> heresy sometimes it's necessary it yeah. it is never necessary <laughs> Just don't have mm. just don't have hot water in that. In I can start with a with a take maybe yes. lukewarm take. Yes, I'm and waiting for this. My my lukewarm. I have I have several. I don't know if this is the one you've been waiting for, but, but the, my plot lukewarm take is that the Abidan C plot is my favorite part of the story. That's a pretty cold take. Okay, that that is yeah. a pretty cold take. Yeah, that's your favorite. People part? like the Abidan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I I could I could skip it if I was like I'm like wow I'm like no that's oh, really? <laughs> yeah I'm like I'm like me, okay it's there I'm like I see why I he's do, including it he's reminding us I'm kind us. of in the middle because yeah. like I think it's theoretically interesting but I get a little bit bored of Serial is sitting there in space having thoughts <laughs> yeah even when she's fighting uh, she's still just sitting there thinking because she just i like to- surreal so much i really do but it's like what's going on is like um i like when things happen in the abaddon plot um yes. i'm like ooh, you know it was like oh man i hate machia he sucks every time he opens his mouth i hate him um you know and every time something happens i'm like ooh, nice but kind of things don't really happen that much it's like oh no another world i have to be sad about stuff is going wrong i have worse osriel um I i don't think you're meant to be sad about all of these worlds i think i think those scenes are there to give you a scope of hey this war surreal is sad surreal is having lots of emotions she's a healer Um, She's a healer, um, which I, I do love her for it. Like, that's what she's there for. But it's just one of those things where it's, I wish, no, I don't, I actually don't wish it for it to be more, but it's sort of, it, it's fine for what it is. And I don't, I don't think it should be different. I think it would be just a totally, it would just be a different series if she was the lead and this was the main plot. Mm-hmm. And 
if it was any less, it would be like, well, why is this here? It clearly has a purpose. It's the mm. it's kind of like the view of where Linden and company should be heading towards. Mm-hmm. And we're kind of have the, I kind of have this vibe every ever since I was reading is like, are we going to like, is Linden going to get powerful enough to join up and help her? Like, so it's kind of like this interesting plot, but it's one of those things where it's like, okay, I don't need, the, I don't need any more of this. She's just yeah, it, fixing, yeah. fixing worlds it's, and fighting Rochere and it, fixing worlds. It's this interesting thing where, like, we start with Lyndon, who is at the complete bottom of the bottom. And our other view is Serial, another of the judges of the Abaddon Court. That's very good, yeah. The very pinnacle of human achievement. The highest worst In the multiverse. Uh, So it's just, like, the full spectrum of, like... So Lyndon very much has a perception of, like, the peak that he can reach in unsold it's like oh like what if i become gold and then we learn it's like gold like ain't Aged. anything yeah it's like that's for children <laughs> so it's like well he has children. his perception and like we <laughs> as readers can see where the judges are it's like oh this is just so far removed yeah. one and of my i'll do more no, I no, there's not. Okay. One of my one of my favorite things about the the C plot, or it might even be a D plot with uh <laughs> with the Abaddon, is that we spend most of the time on Kratos and like we we see how powerful people like the uh the sages and the heralds and the monarchs are. Um you know, people who like you you throw an obliterating like blast of energy at them and and they don't they don't bat an eye and then you you go up to the Abaddon and who are who are having their war and they are destroying and recreating planets like mm-hmm. as a part of their battle moves like mm-hmm. they don't shoot beams of energy they just wish things in and out of existence yeah Surreal just casually bringing trillions of people back to life. Yeah, yeah Surreal, like, it's just like, it's very, you. that's the thing, it's very casual. She's just like, oh, business as usual, let me just reverse the flow of time and make this right again. Cool. Yeah. And now to fight the Roshir again, you know, it's <laughs> casual. Yeah. Yeah. I think I always felt it could have, like, if there was each book only had, like, one prologue or epilogue scene in the in the way, I think that, that would have been like, oh, just to remind me it's there, you know, Whenever there's a, a normal chapter, which is a serial chapter, I'm like, oh yeah, f- forget that was part of these books. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, I'm I'm very much on the side of like I I like the serial stuff. I like I don't think there should be less, and I don't think there should be more. It's like very strategically placed to like so we don't forget about it. And I I do think it is giving us the broader scope as readers. One other thing, like I want to tie into, like this is the information requested bits yes. at the end of I chapters. I love which you. is just straight world building. Yep, just information a lot of it's lore in the universe. It, it's 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 complete lore dumps, and it's and sometimes it's like at the end there's a like continue with this other like very juicy title thing, and it's like 
no, you can skip that one. It's like, uh, was denied. <laughs> oh, I like it because it's sort of like this invisible sense of like, it, it is kind of info dumping, but it's in the way that like, you get the sense, someone has like searched up this information, they've done a little Google yep. search, and they're like, oh, okay, I've read this cool paragraph or two about like what's been going on here. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm good. I got the information I wanted. And you kind of get the sense of like what this person is looking for. And it's like this invisible like, Oh, what's 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 surreal kind of uh, what's she looking up? Is she what she she's keeping an eye on things down on cradle and it, exactly that's that is what's happening. Yeah. It's like she's yeah, getting like information reports from mm-hmm. her presence, which is like this secondary her, her creature AI. AI thing. <laughs> AI assistant essentially, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for me, like it took me embarrassingly long to figure out it was surreal doing those Google searches. Mm-hmm. So for for me, those sections really worked because it gave this whole series a feeling like there is someone spying on our characters. Mm-hmm. You know how like in some movies you get or TV shows you get a scene and then the camera just pans back and you see this mm-hmm. is being watched on like you've, a TV you've been monitor. Looking at yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And yeah. this is the, those info dump bits were giving me this sort of vibe. Like, mm-hmm. no, who could be who could be watching? I mean, of course, it's surreal. It took me too long to figure out it's surreal. <laughs> Early on, I was like, is there someone spying on, on the characters? Like, is there a mysterious person X who... You know, to- if you've ever... If anyone has ever seen Person of Interest, they kind of have, like, yeah. the same framing device where the machine is watching, but the machine is watching through security cameras. So sometimes, like, one of the scene transitions that they do is, like they'll like move out and it'll be like a camera and then shifting over to another security cam and like this kind of like um you know like hollywood machine like interface look but it, it like you know it's shifting over to another camera and it's just one of those things that reminds you that like oh yeah the framing it's like someone is watching hmm. uh which is like it kind of reminds me of that it's like oh it reminds you every time it happens that oh yeah there's kind of something bigger going on here uh which i like and it's it becomes very funny, at least to me, once you know, once it's clear that it's surreal, and you realize eventually when she actually has scenes where she talks about watching, watching Lyndon and Co. That mm-hmm. this is less a mysterious conspiracy and more basically her, like weekend soap opera. <laughs> she's keeping yeah. up with because she wants to just know what happens next. It's like he meets Fisher Geyser and she's like, who is the Geishas? Like, oh, okay, that's who they are. Okay, cool. Okay, carry on then. Yeah. What, what's going on with... Yeah. <laughs> it, it's like, it's one part like so proper and one and one part like mom who is just checking up on like her kids' friends. It's like, <laughs> yeah. is this somebody like my kid should be hanging out with? I was like, Google search. I was like, oh yeah, they're they're. It's fine. very much she took responsibility for him. So now she's like, oh, who is that? Who is this? How's he doing? Are they okay? Yeah, yeah. No, they're, they're doing she's right. basically doing a right. fan. She's basically a fan who sometimes just pauses the show to, and checks the wiki. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So all of this has been a really interesting, unplanned and unscheduled, perfect segue into uh, us mentioning some of our favorite or interesting or notable scenes. And I'm going to use this opportunity to not let anyone else speak before Mm. I can cast my vote. Because (laughs) if I let them speak, then the segue is ruined. And the scene I want to bring to the table is the ending of Ghostwater. Right. That That is the moment when I went from kind of enjoying these books. They're kind of fun. They're kind of popcorn to go on, oh, this is 
I am into this so much that like it, this is the kind of thing that I would be going to like midnight release parties and things like that. I mean, if I, if I could, if they had, like, if they had them, yeah. parties. Yeah. 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 And, and you can see the perfect segue because when we talk about presences and Ghostwater, like this landed so well for me and, and yes, will white planned that like this is the intended effect and it worked so well on me right we we spent nearly five books with these information requests or or uh, reports being interspersed and we've built an idea of who the abaddon are and who what what the presences are capable of in terms of just like knowing everything right and then at the at the end of of ghostwater uh, we we spend a little bit of time with Dross, and I've never been a huge Dross fan, by the way. Like I like him well enough, but I never been a huge fan. Mm-hmm. And then like the yeah. the moment we we get that information request, or or was it battle report or whatever it so, was, uh, yeah, like that that's sw- and the font switch and the and the voice <laughs> switch and all of that. There's the font switch. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Information requests are, information requests are like bolded with different font. Yeah. With the, yeah. with the, it's like anyway. it's like. It looks like the Stormfather text, you know. It's, uh, I, I did not know this because I've only done it audio. <laughs> uh, audio. Oh yeah, <laughs> but, but, but it, it's so it's so recognizable and and just like it carries th- that like change on the things on the page carries so much additional weight with it that you're like, oh my god. Is Dross a presence? He knows yeah. so much. What does that mean? What heck you do? Oh, he's bonded to Lyndon. <laughs> oh! It was one of those moments where like something that you thought was like one of those God things that all of a sudden becomes in reach of like, oh, yeah, I totally know what you mean. It's like yeah. where what the impossible becomes possible moments of like. Mm. It's, it's It, it works really so much better for me than like any of Lyndon's level ups. Mm, yeah. And like the funny thing about that is that as we now know, Ethan is Osriel. He is an Abaddon. And like he thinks he's he he usually knows what's going on. It's like Lyndon coming out of Ghostwater with a presence <laughs> was a total server. It's like one of the few things that catches him by completely. Through him. And it's just like, yeah. ah. <laughs> Take that, Ethan. <laughs> it reminds me of, of a scene in. I was going to say it's Sky Sworn, but the continuity doesn't work, so it must be later. But I think they were in the Sky Sworn fortress, and and mm-hmm. Dross points Ethan out to Linden when Ethan is like trying to sneak around and and do a surprise entrance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so and so. <laughs> Lyndon mm-hmm. calls him out, and then he just shows up kind of skulking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it has to be Underlord, that, that scene. In, it, yeah, it must be. Because yeah. in Uncrowned, they, they spend most of the time in the, the other flying fortress. Yeah. <laughs> Not to be mistaken. But let, let's let's see someone else's favorite I have, moment, I have, scene, book, I have sequence. Three. I think I have on hand. And so, okay. I don't know if I want to go next to see if anyone. Skipped. I have three. I have three. One's a favorite moment, and the other two are moments that made me cry. So you oh. might want to go first. I'll go. I'll go first because we were talk- Let's let's go one by one. Yeah. Yeah. We'll do we'll do yeah. a couple of roundtables. I'll I'll just do the one. The final fight of Underlord is my favorite 
most memorable fight of the series. Mm, the same. three, okay. yeah, the I can't remember the names of any of the characters because I'm terrible. It's the three underlords come hunting for Mercy, Yaren, and Lyndon, and Lyndon oh, yeah. and Yaren have to do their underlord revelations whilst, the, <laughs> like, like whilst in the fight, or the like, although they were like seconds away from dying, and like. That to me is one of the most memorable fights because the advancement to Underlord is different to the advancements. It's it is a almost like a Stormlight style personal advancement as well as just a, I trained a bunch and I leveled up. Mm-hmm. It is a personal like plot relevant advancement, and all the Lord advancements are like that. That's why I like them. Uh, but Underlord was just that it was that first one of they got to re- learn something about themselves, and the fight was good, and the guys they were fighting were interesting. I just remember the lady with the the life scythe that was like with the sun. Yeah, who could like permanently take part like days off your life? That was scary. And yeah, I just that's the fight that stands out to me as like the one of the best fights in the series. And like, she's also um, it's a really cool concept to have essentially like a Grim Reaper character, but she's on a life path. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. (laughs) I think it's great. Do we want to do more than one each, or because? The other ones I have less to say about. I do have one on lock, which yeah. is Ethan, probably my favorite character, which we'll we'll talk about favorite characters a little later on. I love but Ethan. the scene at the end of Reaper where he's like crying. <sighs> Cause it's like Ethan as Osriel apparently was a theory in the community that I completely missed. I didn't was not aware it was a theory. I also I, didn't I think it was know. a thing until like the few chapters before one of like the Osriel flashbacks is like where he got uh, the shroud, the origin shroud. I'm like, he's Aethon. <laughs> and then like almost immediately after it's like he like got out the the marble and just like it's like gave the command to like unshackle identity and all that. It's like authorization 008. And I'm just like, <laughs> oh, oh, it's so good! And like the, the scene also there is like the like a destroyer has come to the destroyer has come. Yes, it's, like, <laughs> it's just such a high energy moment. I'm just like, yes, yes. It was yeah, like that very well built up for me. I like the most. <laughs> yeah, it was it was very well done. It actually kind of reminds me about like because like one of the one of the tip offs for me was. Ethan, you know, like the talking about not wanting to be alone. And that's kind of that was the tip off because that leads into my favorite moment, which is like earlier in the series when Ethan was talking, you know, in one of those moments when he like he he drops his troll troll shroud for a moment and like is just real talk with Lyndon and Yuren for a moment. He's just like, I'm lonely and I don't want to do this alone. And I was like, that was the moment where I was like, oh, these are real people. These are like, these are, these are good characters in like this random like battle, <laughs> battle anime I, I started reading. Like that, that one really hit me hard. And I was just like, ever since then, I've just been like, yes, these are the three. These are, these are my babies. I love them so much. It was, it was a really, really good emotive moment for me. My, my, f- one of my favorites, I do have a few. Aside from that fight at the, at the end of Underlord, no. Oh, you guys really like that. <laughs> and, uh, one of the other moments I really enjoyed was the moment that actually got me to stick with this series was in Skysworn, the reveal of the first of the Dread Gods. 
Because mm. it's when the when the bleeding phoenix like arrives, there's just this whole spectacle of sky turning red, blood starts falling from the star skies, people are screaming, monsters are being born from blood. I was very lukewarm on the series beforehand because it was just it was people who I don't necessarily like punching. I kind of like more. But then it was like, oh, there's a, there's a bigger thing here. There's this giant monster creature, and this is metal as hell, and I want to know more about it. <laughs> the Bleeding Phoenix. Wow, yeah. that's, that's incredible. Yeah, that kind of moment where you kind of realize when they talk about the Dread Gods, and they're like, oh, they're more like natural disasters instead of big monsters. It's like, oh yeah, no, this is a na- this is happening across the, the the continent. This is a natural disaster. This isn't just, oh, it's a big bloody phoenix. No, no, no. It like spreads... Uh, blood eggs that kill people and make more blood eggs, you know. And it's, it's like it's, it's more like a um, super hostile weather event. Mm. Like mm. If, if ever storm was sending monsters actively to kill you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, sunny with a chance of beating Phoenix. Mm-hmm. How do you have a chance of your blood turning into evil <laughs> version of you <laughs> to attack you? Yeah. yeah, that is that is that is Loki oh, actually like really really I mean, powerful and also really really terrifying because this is this is a an interesting take on the whole zombie not franchise but like idea right because mm-hmm. one of the reasons zombies are scary yes they are people we know but but not is the the spreading aspect of it right anyone yeah. you lose and, and it's the same with necromancy any person you lose you've lost two. Because now minus one on your side, plus one for the other side. Mm. I do want to follow up on something Shannon said a moment ago, which was that Ethan scene where he kind of reveals a bit more of who he is as a person and as a character, which fantastic scene. Love it so much. There's a similar, I say similar because it's also Ethan kind of revealing more of himself, but in a very different way. Uh, scene that I want to bring up, and that comes in Black Flame, actually. It's kind of the first time we see Ethan show off a bit of who he is. We we obviously don't see him in Unsold. We see him in Soulsmith. And, and, but, but there, he doesn't do much. Like, everyone acknowledges that he's an Underlord, and Underlord is so much more than anything else that we have there, that he doesn't need to do anything. He just shows up, and people are like, okay, and then in in Black Flame, we actually start seeing some Underlords around. And I'm reminded of the scene where he gets ambushed in the night and, and they want to kill him. And 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 they, they've got like a shield up and he's depowered at that moment. And, and he looks around and goes, well, it's good that there's no one else here to see what I'm about to do to you guys. <laughs> and then just proceeds to wreck the living hell out of out of the uh the ambushers with a broom yeah or maybe with scissors it's he could have been his scissors yeah Yeah. but but i i love this and and this touches on kind of a, a general or a wider archetype that i really like which is the and and those of you who are familiar with videos i've been on in the cosmere will recognize that and i will avoid spoilers but there's a scene in secret history where another character we've known as kind of jovial and and harmless and funny goes ape (laughs) and like this is 
I, I love this. The, like it gets me every time. We don't get many of these moments in books, but I, but I, this is a, a reveal that I enjoy a lot. Someone we've done harmless and funny and jo- just drops the mask, and it's and it's instant. I love the mask dropping. He's mm. so mad. It was sort of like because it's one of those things that like does he care about his clan because his one cousin Cassius is like always like. Ethan, you don't care. You're such a jerk. Just be serious. And I'm like, well, no, he's he cares. He obviously cares. He's just doesn't. This is how he shows. He need to show you. He yeah. doesn't need to show you that. He doesn't need to say the words, but his actions. Oh boy, hmm. he'll come. He'll come for his the enemies of his clan for sure. And that was sometimes great. he'll come for his clan too. <laughs> you know, it's the same book where he beats the crap out of Cassius. Yeah, but he didn't kill him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they're cousins. It's fine. They're cousins. Yeah. They just had a little friendly no fight because my cousins. <laughs> I wanted to do my second one the one that I had, which was one of my favorite character choice Ooh. moments. It was the I think this is in Bloodline, the decision to go back and fight the Dread God mm. is is I love that moment because Lynn is like trying to trying to weigh up like the pros and cons he's like trying to analyze anything about how he normally does and he was like and he's just like no i need to stop overthinking this i'm just gonna go do something stupid and i'm like (laughs) i feel like my decision process i do that uh, probably too much where i'm like i'm trying to think about the pros and cons of making a decision and i'm like i'm overthinking this i'm just gonna flip a coin make a decision just go for it and then deal with the consequences if they you know if they, you know if i have to yeah. and so i'll sit there and i'm like you go you go make a stupid ass decision and just go for it <laughs> i loved it i loved it i thought it was great so i'm sitting there being like Lydia, you idiot i love you but oh my god this is so stupid oh man but yeah it was it was great <laughs> one of the first moments that made me cry in this series and you know it's sort of for me it's I, I do cry a lot, but I don't really necessarily cry while I'm reading books. Not even not even in Stormlight, really. But it's one of the things that really got me for the first time when reading Cradle was the moment in Skysworn when he when Lyndon's in the duel and Jalong is obviously trying not to kill him and stuff. Like that's fine, but he does take his arm, and it was like the moment after when like Lyndon is so mad, not at Jailong, but at Ethan. Mm. And you know, like, and that moment really got me because Ethan's like, he has nothing to say. And he's like, he's, he's just like that. That was, that was me. Yep. I could have, I could have stopped this, but I had a plan. And it was just one of those moments of like, Lyndon standing up for himself. And it was one of those things where Ethan like, didn't brush it away. And it was like, you know, so great character moment for one, but for two, it was just like, there was a lot of emotion and I was just like that rage and just like, you could have stopped this, but you didn't. And I was just so many like that, that really got me emotionally I have, I have to agree here like skysworn is one of my favorite books in the series and this is one of the moments that make it so it is one of <laughs> this, the least rated it is I easily I, easily I have, my least favorite i have heard that this is a lot of people's least favorite skysworn <laughs> is one of my top three i'm not going to <laughs> oh man <laughs> oh wow i am i'm scrolling through goodreads and it's shocking how how highly rated all all of them are like Mm-hmm. Unsold and Soulsmith are 4. 6, uh, 416 and 4.36. Oh, that's crazy. Everything else is like 4.5 and above. Mm-hmm. I guess, I guess. Yeah, most people Sky don't Sworn like Skysworn, but I don't I don't really keep track. 
I'm at the point where they've all blurred together. And I remember mm -hmm. certain events are in certain books, but for the most part, they're just a blur. Everything after Ghost Water, I actually have no idea until we get to Reaper. <laughs> they're all just one book from after Ghost Blood to, to Reaper. They're just F one. fighting and leveling up. Yeah. Fighting it's and leveling Ghost up. And I think there's I think there's fighting. Uh, I think there's I think Trading. there's points. Um <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's a kiss somewhere. Yeah, the oh, hardest. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, the hardest for me is Uncrowned to Wintersteel. I like. I just know well, Uncrowned to Wintersteel are almost a pair where they just they just yeah. flow straight from they one are. to the other. And I'm like, I'm like, I could not tell you what happens between them. I remember like, very vividly like where the like division point between them is because one of my favorite moments in the series happens right at the end of Uncrowned. That's another that moment is. I cried because that's 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 second on my list. I cried that's when the moment I whooped. <laughs> it was I wasn't sad. Yaren whooped Lyndon's ass. Well, she wasn't whooping. They they were actually very it nice and equal, and yeah. it yeah. was she just happened to win. First of all, she should have won. Full agree. Mm -hmm. I know there are mm -hmm. a lot of some people out there in a fandom I don't really interact with. Like you know, so that's this is something I know about but I haven't really witnessed. But some people are super mad that Lyndon lost that fight. No, he should have lost that fight. But I still had a lot of emotions about it because it was really sad when, you know, it's sad to lose. And I don't think there's anything wrong with wrong with that. And I think I would have felt had worse. a bit of a moment in, in the fight. Yeah. yeah. It was a great moment. Great. Mm. great. She, she was trying to, to coax him into like not holding back because like a lot of what she's about is like fighting and and giving it all and and he was holding back and that was making her mad it's this is one of the only chances they're gonna have that they can do it risk-free like yeah. they're gonna like whoever loses they can they're gonna be healed at the end fully because them. there's monarchs who can do like the the best healing this is like maybe the only moment they're ever gonna have to truly go no holds barred and it was great she she happened to take the edge on that one she should have won yes i'm like i'm i'm sad about Lyndon's feelings because like when you're sitting there just being crushed like mm -hmm. sucks to lose but mm -hmm. it's a lot of feelings i cried and i i really i really do feel for him but i also agree mm -hmm. he shouldn't have won but it's really great tension between mm -hmm. they're they're both friends and one of them had to win <laughs> I also think that Garen winning is also just hugely important for the future of the series. Oh, yeah. Because it sets the two of them on their path to become like a pseudo herald and a sage at Underlord. I think if their positions were swapped, I don't think they would have been reached that point mm. when they did. Yeah. We'll admit that my reason for liking the scene are less elaborate and thematic and intelligent <laughs> uh, because for one it's just a really good fight and you don't yeah it's not very often that you get a chance to see two protagonists of your shonen battle manga it against each other without some very contrived reason for it or some rivalry that is probably forced at this point but it was super cool to see those powers that were used against opponents that were weaker or stronger against each other also, as a noted Lyndon disliker, I very much enjoyed the fact that Yerin was the one who win, won it. And it provided us some hilarious reviews from people who didn't like it. There, there is definitely oh, yeah, an entertainment the, factor of reading the book and The, the infamous it. 1984 Amazon review. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Let's get some more scenes. I mean, the, the reason we are here is because we like the series and we want to talk about the, the things that we like in the series. So... 
the, get some more. The the scene that made me go, I'm probably going to stick out with these books. This is really cool. I really like this. Is really early on in Soulsmith is uh, Lyndon's Iron Advancement. When Ethan locks him in the room okay. and injects him with poison for like a day. And like... <laughs> That that scene, I'm just like it, it. Like went on. Like he didn't like. Well, he did cut back eventually, but he didn't like cut back. He like he was like, this is hard. Like Linden, Linden is struggling with this, and like it was hard. You know, and that was the thing. I was like, okay, okay, I see where this is going. I'm like, this is like unsold. I'm like, if if I had stopped reading it unsold, I probably wouldn't. You know, yeah, I could have dropped it unsold and not like worried that I was missing out on too much. But that was yeah. But sure, that scene in Soulsmith, I was like, okay, I see, I see what's happening, and like, I liked it. The thing about that scene is like, Ethan comes back with like the fifth Viper, and it's like, I'm just gonna empty this into you. But it's like the scene. It's I don't know if it's an information requested or just a random scene from later on. And it's like the the, the, the same later. Viper sect that actually like does this iron oh, body yeah. it's like they do a single drop yeah, of yeah. venom it's like oh, oh gonna be OP. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. It, it was it was it was what's the the famous last words where the guy's like being executed in history in real life and like he, they're being executed by like rocks being put on him and he's like do you have any last words and he's like more weight it felt like that scene where it's like yeah <laughs> I can't give me more. Yeah. Give me what more. A, a I can handle it. Yeah, loved it. It's so kind of funny this is like legit one of my least favorite scenes in the series. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. Though. <laughs> uh, hate it. Oh no. Tell us, and then we can keep discussing because yes. I, I have thoughts is, too. There is more to this than the eye meets, Rasar. Elaborate hey, upon us I, your dislike. I don't know if I can go elaborate on without going on a rant that's gonna do, better do the rant. for talking about characters. Rant away. We might not find a good time for it. Do okay. the rant now. <laughs> okay, so this was, in, when I was reading Cradle for the first time, this was the moment I dropped the book. And I dropped it with much venom. <laughs> like because more vipers worth the venom or... <laughs> Uh, ever, I almost threw my candle at the wall. Uh, well, specifically, oh the, the slightly earlier, the moment that Aethan kicks uh, Lyndon into the room and locks him in there, I was already not enjoying this plot because the thing about early cradle books that really like threw me on a loop is that early cradle books are just full of assholes. <laughs> it's just people are just terrible to each other in those early books. Yeah. Like, there's a it has been a long time since I read Soulsmith, so maybe I am completely misremembering it and about to besmirch this book. But there is, right. as I recall, a moment where Lyndon tries to help people who have been captured by this sect. And then he gets caught and Tergesha, who's been basically his mentor for this book, uh, basically like, oh, Mao, get, get lost. You're not associated with me. I'm not going to do anything for you. And that, that's kind of what leads to the call not being tossed in the pyramid. Ethan too, like in this early books, I hate early books Ethan. He grows on me like around Underlord. But in this early books, he's basically comes in and as this it looks feels like he just decides to screw with Lyndon for the hell of it. Hey, there's this trope in, in fiction, especially in like fantasy where characters learn new things, of reckless child endangerment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To to give them oh, yeah, magic powers. Yeah. And, and so where's this 
there's this mentor who is just this asshole who would be definitely stripped of all his teaching privileges and probably sent to prison in real life (laughs) because they decide that the best way to train their students is to almost murder them and put them in deadly situations over and over again. And I absolutely hate it because this is a dude who is basically poisoning a (laughs) (laughs) 15-year-old. Yeah, but this is a world where 15-year-olds are already golds and have already that's, taken that's in my poison. Problem. That's part of my problem yeah. with the series. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I feel like... Yeah. This is a little bit of a tangent, but for me, the moment where I knew what I had to recalibrate and got what the world was was actually in the first book. It was when Lennon had, like, tricked his way into the Heaven's School, Heaven's something... Glory, Heaven's Glory. Glory. Heaven's Glory School. And, you know, it was the moment when he and Garen make their plan to break out because I was like, this is the moment where I realized, oh, this morality is not really like uh, maybe other books. Mm. Um, It was like when they decided to turn on them and it was like suddenly life or death and they were going to kill them if like they were if they had to. So that was like the moment where I was like, oh, okay, these like this isn't necessarily our version, like modern morality, because he's like he made friends with the guy at the in the little museum thing. and he. You know, so like it was like he was in another book. I'd be like, oh, now he's going to stay at the heaven school for a while and learn a bit. But no, immediately, like these like these people aren't good enough. I'm going to we have to get out of here. And with this, this new girl who I just met. So that was my recalibration of like what this world is like. This world is full of jerks. And then you have everyone goes for their place for power. And like and then the heaven's glory school people were immediately like awful in a way that like okay now we're going to kill you kind of unprovoked as well so that was my sense i that was my recalibration of like what people in this world are like they're here for power and they have very specific delineations of like when you should be loyal to someone versus like when it's okay to not they they, this is a this is like you know normal quote-unquote normal martial arts like super martial arts like this is this is something I've seen before, so I wasn't, I'm not super thrown by the asshole, you know, martial arts master of like, if you want to be good, then this is what it's going to be like. And Lyndon, you know, Lyndon keeps saying he wants this. And this is a choice where 15 year olds do make this choice. This is a world where six year olds make this choice. For me, like this, this was my earliest problem with early cradle. There is, gets better in later books since Lyndon gains his posse. In those early books, there is just so many assholes. For me, this moment of like recalibration of like, oh, this is this is how I make those books enjoyable to me came in Black Film, actually, the later book. Where I was like, okay, this is not magic martial arts Cosmere, this is magic martial arts Warhammer 40k, because this is the <laughs> level of general assholery we are dealing with here. Yeah. I, I have two things I want to say. And one is like, I think one of the reasons why I do like the the Venom scene is by that point, I was already starting to like Ethan and Ethan had earned my trust. So it's like, I trusted that like, okay, like he's not just being doing this to be a jerk. Like he's doing this for a good reason. So it's like, I'm going to go for it. Is it fair to say that you thought he would pull Lyndon out if things are too dangerous? <sighs> Or would, would you? Yes. Like, I don't like remember that too clearly. I just knew it was like, this is going to turn out fine. Like, yeah. I'm just going to see this through. The other thing is, I agree that early cradle books are full of jerks. But I think that that is indicative of the world the monarchs have created. And 
the reason later books are different is because Lyndon and his crew like have found each other and have found a better way, which is kind of a theme of the series. It's like that the the example of the monarchs is a bad one, but it's the one everyone is following. I and feel it's like the, the entire first, thing Ethan yeah. is pushing for, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The first, the first few chapters of Unsold was sort of like the everyone here sucks. The Way Clan is awful. Um, and even people who are theoretically should be on his side, treat him bad. You know, so it's kind of like, that's already the world. I didn't really need to recalibrate when Ethan came on. Ethan came on the scene. I liked him. And I, and I thought he was doing this for good reason. For me, Lyndon has given enough consent. By the time the, the Venom scene came on, he was sort of like, if you can't keep saying, I want this, I want this, I want this. And then, oh, no, I'm going to hurt you. Like, that's the line. Not for me. Because like he he expects this to come with pain. Everyone knows this is supposed to not be enjoyable if you want to be the best. While while we are on the topic of this scene in Afan, like yeah, I he was kind of I was kind of starting to like him throughout the first like two thirds of Soulsmith. But like this moment where he tosses Lyndon into like the whole Viper scenario is the moment where he as a character he tanked for me so completely. Like I said, it took me until, under, until Underlord, where before I started to actually like him again. Like, it was a character that I was enjoying, and he just fell headfirst to a character trope that I absolutely despise. <laughs> then just stuck in this in this well of this character trope until main characters get sort of closer to his level, where he, instead of being this trollish mentor, is also wild endangerment mentor becomes more of a or still a smarter guy still with more experience and all that but isn't this no longer get the sensation that he is deliberately throwing them into danger well for me it's sort of being thrown into danger is the way everyone in this world grows and learns so i don't think i never found ethan to be particularly egregious or terrible for me the moment when like the venom scene it never came across to me as just for kicks and giggles. This came to me as this is him taking Lyndon under his wing. At the same point, it's sort of like we can't have Lyndon be uh, an autonomous human being and also just say this was something that was done to him. This was something he chose. And like that that felt very clear to me, especially like, you know, when when the actual Venom part happened and not just being kicked into the room, being kicked into the room and having to survive on his own was a different scene than the Venom scene. Those were two different those were two different scenarios. For one, like Ethan is actually there giving him the venom. Lyndon having to survive on his own was sort of like the they need it. They need to see what he's made of. And then Yaren was like, what? at first is like, this isn't fair. But at the end of it, it's like, well, okay. Are you? Are you like has to come around to it? Hey, no, I'm fine with that. Story so often, so often Yaren is Yaren is one of my favorite characters, and so often she is the one who, in those early books who is most critical of Afan. And every time the story ends up siding with Aethon. And I'm fine with that. You know, I, I that, that's, that. that's, that's, that's great to me because it's sort of, they are essentially t- trying to learn from him, but they, it's when they get older and more powerful is sort of when they have more ability to push back. And in this stage, it's sort of like when your master tells you to do something, do you do it or do you not? And this is the, this just fit right in this didn't this didn't stick out to me as like this is horrible and evil and wrong this is okay well he knows something we don't and 
this is the way they learn is by putting themselves into extremely dangerous situations. And that's kind of what they end up doing later is Lennon and Yaren start putting themselves into more and more dangerous situations in order to grow. And, you know, it's sort of like, this is, this is the way you, you leap, you leapfrog across power levels. And that's what Ethan was pushing them to do so they could be more powerful more quickly, which is exactly what they say they want. So mm -hmm. it's sort of, do you not believe them? I don't know. Maybe in this world, we wouldn't because this is our world and we like have laws about how we treat children and they're great laws. Love them. Uh, in this world, it's a fantasy where they don't have child endangerment. This is where <laughs> this is where you put this is where you like like Yaren had much more choice. She was like stuck under like a lake and had to breathe through a straw for three days when she was like a baby, you know, <laughs> not a baby, not a literal baby, a very young child to get like her, child. well, not her iron body, her, uh, her iron body that is uh, the, the steel, steel like something body. Well, the important part is that it felt like Lyndon basically had consent or her gave his consent. What happened was sort of, there were, there were actually the checks in the actual venom part. There were checks and they like they gave Lennon a choice. There's an argument you could be made. Was he coerced? Well, no, because Lyndon Lyndon has like it's a powerful like uh, character moment for him. It's sort of like, is this worth it? Because that's the moment. Is it if this is going to hurt, if this is going to take this much work and pain and willpower, is it worth it? And then he makes that choice. Yes, I'm going to yes, do this. I am like I'm conflating the scenes of like the venom and the like thinking back on it you are right the, the, those are two separate scenes and the moment i actually like threw the book first time was when when Afan like kicked him in that mm -hmm. i think i read the venom scene afterwards and i was still i think i was still in this simmering outrage at the mm -hmm. earlier scene so they just sort mm -hmm. of meshed together in my head i suppose at the end of the day it's less a problem with the writing itself for me and just the problem with world building just not asshole mentor trope who endangers the student is just not a trope I enjoy. So seeing a character was starting to like, oh, like full on this trope, just, you know, your mileage may vary. It just, it just not my thing. Yeah, that's, that's fair. Yeah. I do, I do want to move things along a little bit. Uh, first, I have a, a weird duality with that sequence where I hate the, the asshole mentor trope, but I also don't peg Ethan as, as one Me of too. those. And I and I read and I see why that is. So I will I will go back to my cave and and think why that is. But to take us out of this scene, I do want to do either one more round or just those of us who have additional thoughts. I uh, want to give us one more chance to talk about favorite scenes or moments or things that we want to talk about, and then we'll see what else the outline has for us. And the thing that I want to bring up for myself is the thing that I would be remiss if I didn't talk about. And that is the point sage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Points. Yeah. Point sage. So, uh, if, you, if you don't, I mean, there's no way you've read the book this much and, and don't remember the point sage, but this is how I differentiate between the Uncrowned Tournament and Winter Steel. Oh. Because the Uncrowned Tournament is fighting in the, in the arena and Winter Steel is the points. Cool. That is a very easy way of remembering those things because I completely <laughs> forgot that. <laughs> they go somewhere else and Lyndon's like, points? Yeah. I must have them. <laughs> I know this is uh, this is something the, the fandom likes to meme about. And I, and I, and I get why it's meme -y, but I also like, I, I it's, 
it's kind of just like a fun intermission, right? So the uncrowned the uncrowned tournament was, or uncrowned the book was very maybe not very heavy, but it was a bit heavy, right? There were a lot of character moments there. There was a lot of growth. There were a lot of serious moments and characters had to like figure out how they feel about themselves and their place in the world and also other characters who beat the crap out of them in the finals, all of that stuff. And then Wintersteel is like, let's take a break. Let's let's just go like punch some people for fun. <laughs> yeah. And also murder some points. people for points. Well, yeah, <laughs> sure. And, and, and obviously, like the, the point sage is not not canon, right? The, the the canonical thing is, Lyndon finds so much fun and enjoyment out of this whole. Hey, I everything in my life that I've loved and wanted has now been turned into a game. Yeah, I've wanted to grow stronger, and I've wanted to beat people up, and now I can do that, and I get arbitrary rewards except they're not arbitrary because i can turn them into actual rewards like elixirs and things like that which, which is great mm -hmm. but then the I bloopers obviously <laughs> and, and like the whole thing ends with like uh linden manifesting the void icon right but then the bloopers change that void icon scene to the points icon and it's like yeah. i am the point <laughs> genuinely unironically I love this blooper. I think it is hilarious. I think the Cosmere doesn't stand a chance against this kind of hilarity. Get those sticks out of my face. Get those primitive <laughs> laws against mating yep. out of my face. Point Sage is the funniest crap out there. Oh yeah. I think Will White is funnier in terms of like when he tries to be funny, when Brandon tries to be funny yeah. versus yeah. 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 I I do think it's great. Uh, I love when Lyndon like. For me, like the moment is like it's a little weird because it's like this is this is war, and we know Yaren is going through something like really like this. Like she has the a plot in Winter Steel, feels like the a plot. Yeah, Lyndon is kind of feeling time, and it's sort of like I love how he Fury hands out like these like these point total. Like this is like your sheets, and this is what will count as points. And Lyndon looks at this this list and immediately starts like going for efficiency. He's like, we don't need to like take on the big boys. We don't we just have to like collect and then you know he's like, um <laughs> just like the way he's like, he's not going to he doesn't take like the the spirit of it into account. Like he's like, okay, we need to fight all the enemies. He's going to the letter of the game, which is so Linden. He immediately he's like, mid-maxes. Like mid-maxes. <laughs> yeah. He's like, this he's, is how he's such a gamer and that is so relatable in that moment yeah he's like he takes like his, the skill of him and his team into account and he's like okay so we're gonna split up and uh, i'm gonna take some of the big boys for like these like these points we're not gonna go for the big ticket items because the all the teams will be fighting over those so we're gonna rack up the points and we're gonna get these items you know it was like the one of the things of like oh my god this this uh boy this boy yeah i, I this love it. boy because it's almost like Lyndon doesn't have a huge <laughs> amount of personality. I'm gonna say. I'm gonna like like We can talk about Lyndon in a bit when we talk yeah. about characters. Yeah. Uh, but what I felt this did is Lyndon's like, I want to advance. That is like his whole thing. That's like his uh it's his overlord revelation, I think. Is or overlord or what's between under and over? It is over. Under. Uh, yeah, no, it's, 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 it's under it's over arch. Cool, yeah. So I like, think it's, it's like he advances. That's like what he does. Um and it almost oh, yeah, felt yeah. like Yeah, and it felt like it was that philosophy of his life just applied to a different 
progression system. <laughs> Rather than it being, I advance through the advancements, it's like, I advance through the points. That is that is what yeah. I do. And it was like, oh, okay, yeah, this is his personality manifesting outside of the usual, I'm mm-hmm. advancing through the, the sacred arts. And yeah, it, it felt like, made perfect sense. And, it, yeah. it was- and it's also such like a fun way to explore that part of him in the book that ends with him manifesting the void icon of like the, the all-consuming void yep. it's just like yeah i i just want to because like this is also like he develops the consume technique in yeah. this book so it's, it's all building up to the void icon and, and it's also reminiscent of and this is obviously not directly related but at the end of i think it was reaper when uh when he had a little chat with uh reagan shen mm. and and one of the things he said was like well the difference between the two of us is that credo is not enough for me i want more mm-hmm. <laughs> i hate to be the negative nancy again but like i don't keep my points <laughs> do you know do you hate uh, uh, i feel like our somehow our tastes feel complete opposite yet we still both end up liking this series and i don't know how i like what what's the core difference between us here i'm like i don't know what it is mm-hmm. yeah what's up cradle it's a book for many different types of people yeah 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 i i without like going into another long tangent i feel like winter still for me has a tone problem that what what uh, evgeny said earlier like how the Crown is this serious book, and Winter Steel is this easier one, which to me feels kind of weird. Where one of those books is a tournament arc, and where you can't die, and the other book is a war against a dread god. <laughs> yeah. I, I just I did not like the point system because one, it felt like it's like I tend the book in a way I didn't enjoy. For the second. Yes, it did reveal something about Lyndon's personality, and to me that revelation was that he was a psychopath. <laughs> yes, but that's why I love him. That's why I love him. <laughs> he doesn't strike me as a psychopath. He's, he strikes me as someone who wants to advance, and that's what, exactly what he looks at. He was given a tool. The points are a tool to, here's, if you get this, we're going to give you advancement material. And he's like, what? He's not going to not fight them. He was already going to fight them for the Akura clan. You know, like the killing them is not is fine. Like blame the guy who made the points. You know, it's sort of like, I don't blame anyone for looking at this and being like, okay, I'm going to get this, 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 this. You know, it's uh, they were they were handed a bribe to this is we want to encourage and motivate you guys to uh, kill our enemies. Please do this. <laughs> I wouldn't say, I wouldn't call Lyndon a psychopath like 90% of the time. It's like this winter still read really weird to me. Like, I get how this is in character for Lyndon, but somehow it felt out of character for Lyndon to me. I can't, he said, I don't want to elaborate and I even don't know how to elaborate, but that whole section felt so weird to me. Okay. Can't really explain properly why. On the psychopath thing, I just remembered, uh, so I got one of my friends to read the series, like, very recently, and he got halfway through Unsold, and he was like, is Lyndon a psychopath? <laughs> and I'm like, and I'm like, oh, my immediate thought was, I thought of the points stuff, and I was like, how could, how did you tell this early? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, and, and his, his reasoning was like, he was like, Lyndon never des- seems to describe his emotions very often, and I'm like, yeah, that's, that's fair. Because it's, it's the fact that he's, got trimmed. He's very objective about a lot of things, yeah. yeah. So, on that note, I think we can move on to talking about characters. 
And there is quite a lot to talk about characters, starting with our boy Lindon. Yeah. Let me, <laughs> let me start by saying that Lindon is probably my least favorite character in this whole series. <laughs> I am not re reading these books for Lindon. I am reading these books for everyone else. <laughs> I feel like Lindon feels like 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 white bread. Like is yeah. is yeah. this is the is is I, I I don't like to say he's my favorite character. I just I like him. He does the job. He gets us through these books. He does cool things. You know? Uh, yeah. I, I'm, like, very much in the, the same boat as Ben, where it's like, I like Lyndon. Like, he's fine. Like, not my favorite character. But, like, he... I like that he is the main character. Yes. Yeah. That, like, he, he he's the one carrying the narrative. You know that metaphor of prose in writing that Brandon uses sometimes? How his yes. prose is... A transparent window, and yeah. other mm -hmm. authors are a, a glass pane or something like mm -hmm. a, a stained glass. Yeah, Linden is kind of a neutral, not empty, but like not very colorful or spicy vessel mm -hmm. for carrying the story forward or delivering the story to you. And all of the people around him are where all of the the fun and and funky stuff happens, mm -hmm. and so. I was going to say, there's not much you can hate about Lyndon, but apparently we're about to hear about <laughs> what that is. you can hate about Lyndon in a moment. <laughs> I like uh, him, so we'll save mine for last. Yeah. Oh. But generally, he's not like, in my experience, he's not very well liked, but he's also not very hated. And so he's fine as like a neutral delivery device. This being said, Rasar, how do you feel about the things that I just said? <laughs> Yes, see, for me, those qualities you've just listed, that he's a neutral delivery device, are kind of a problem to me, because my feelings on Lyndon are most of the time I don't care for him, and, a lot, and some of the time I actively dislike the fact that he is in the scene and he is the main character. I'm interested in I those. I have a running list in my character. Yeah. I have a running list in my head of characters I would rather be leading this series. My problem that is yeah, he's kind of bland. <laughs> For me, he hogs the screen time that could be could be spending with characters I personally find more interesting. And the the story, me the Lindon comes in three modes in the story. He's either underpowered and needs someone to carry him through the event. <laughs> he's overpowered and he is carrying everyone else through the event. Or and that is a very rare moment. He's actually on the level with the threat or like just below where it's interesting. And it feels like that the first three books, especially, as he is in Soul Smith, I have no idea why Afan picked him. It felt to me at the time unearned. He's an underdog character. Like, I, I get that. He's an underdog character. He gets underdog privileges of from being that character, at least like the meta sense of what I am okay with character getting away with. Character having powerful allies, that's okay. Then at the end of the second book, adopted into, or at the start of the third book, he's adopted into one of the most powerful families in the corner of the world he's at at the moment. They keep pouring those resources and power into him on a fan's request. It feels like a real world equivalent would be someone who suddenly gets adopted into a rich family and gets a trust fund. And the story still feels like it's acting as though he has 
underdog privileges narrative standpoint when he no longer feels like an underdog to me just a character who is not powerful the more powerful characters hang out with for some reason is the term underdog really important to his character does it matter that he's not an underdog i mean the 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 problem isn't that he is an underdog or he's not but it feels sometimes like the story treats him like one because it keeps giving him stuff like he gets he gets all those elixirs he gets mentor he gets access to the training course he gets ghost water he gets his own presence like locking lindon up in ghost water is like locking mike guyver in a in a store cupboard like tool store of course this is the best thing that could have happened to him and know that a lot of people have told me that lindon is meant to be like a child by the standards of the setting i just don't find that very interesting then in Ghostwater, he uh, gets all this power boost from being in Ghostwater. And from then on out, we are more often in the second Lindon mode, which is Lindon being above current threat level to the point where I just don't find the fights that he's involved in interesting because he has his own like predict win button in the form of draws. He's treated like he's underpowered, but he unleashes this that he's overpowered on them. I think it's at its worst in Winter Steel, where basically he's the one who turns tide around and he's, he's overpowered, in short, the scenes. And it feels like it's sucking out the air from the room from other characters, because then, like, why is everyone else here if Lyndon just comes in and mopes the, mopes the end floor with the enemy? Yeah, but that's, that's kind just... of the world, isn't it? Like... Mm-hmm. A lot of the world is built like on it. the premise. There's nothing sure about that, Lennon that's like super special or, you know, he's getting a lot of the same resources that plenty of other people in the world do. It's sort of like, for me, it's he was being, the start of the story is he's being held away from all the resources that many people take as just normal. So it's not like, I don't, I don't see the point of making him go through the entire story being like, having all the resources held back from him what i see is like he's what happens for me is he gets all the resources that other people take as normal and like what they should have this is what this is the kind of thing linden should have had access to except like with interest because it happened to be the aurelius clan so it's sort of like to me that was like it's interest being paid on all the things that were denied him as a child or as a up to where he was at this point which is how old is he 15 15 I get that, but on, on the, at the same time, while I understand that this is just how this world works, this over-reliance on like elixirs and pills, it's a classic of the genre, and it's also something I don't really like. I just don't find it very interesting. I, also, I, like- I just don't think it's Lyndon's problem either. You know, like, that's not a problem I have with Lyndon's character, which is kind of the subject. It's everyone has elixirs. How, how, is, how is, like, Ian's journey, for example, different from, from Lyndon's? Other than, so... By the time we are in Skysworn, they mm-hmm. are on about the same level. Or maybe Ghostwater, they're about the same level. Mm-hmm. And, and from that point on, both of them participate in activities that result in them getting pumped with resources. Mm-hmm. Like To me, okay, so it's not just that this elixirs and stuff are a Lyndon problem to me, just that I find Lyndon's character to be ring and because we are focusing on him and we keep pumping him to be on the level with the other characters it ends up feeling like Yerin to me is a more interesting character and I feel like she I feel like for example in Ghostwater which is 
like I said, one of my one of the story the story where the like balance changes from Lyndon being mostly underdog to mostly overleveled to me, and also one of my least favorite books. Lyndon gets locked in a room with all the resources he needs to advance. Meanwhile, Yerin has to scrape by and keep sneaking around the island and take care of Mercy, and she has to face the dragon without access to any of the resources. So it feels to me like her advancement is more earned than Lyndon's because he's basically on a spa retreat in a cave. But he very much is not. There's so many people in there that want to kill him. And like dangerous not creatures. Not in a room where they aren't there. Yeah, because he's... It didn't feel to me like he was the same level of like danger as Yerin was. For not me, sure. well, you know, like that's... that's one book and then it's yeah. like the whole series for me it's sort of like yaren actually had all those things that that linden did she just got it spread out more over time linden just happened to get it all at once and that's kind of where, how i see it and and you take I mean, winter steel and winter steel is the opposite like the entire like we meme about the points but like linden spends the entire book working towards progression while yaren is like on a hilltop in a mountain just getting handed gifts and elixirs <laughs> getting gifts and elixirs and like here's all the stuff to get you over to the next one here you go here you go Yaren. here's all your sacred treasures and you win all this great stuff and have here's your healing blood madra and have moon bridge and i feel like for, for i think for me the same type of arc work better for me because she has to be dealing with ruby which is more you no know, it just felt to me i think it's at the end of the day i think the problems i have with lyndon really just boil down to the fact that he is a character who because he's so powerful and because he's the main character ends up picking up page count that i wish was devoted more to characters who i personally find more interesting anyway so i like lyndon um <laughs> i i i kind of got it from the beginning it's like the classic like hook of like oh no he's the he everyone dislikes him and things are so unfair and you know it's sort of like and that gets me because i'm like oh my god why are they being so unfair to lyndon <laughs> you know like it's sort of like that hook of like okay you got me this is the classic uh, character of like i the understand the ladder yeah. Now I feel for him and now I want him to be cool and powerful and no one can hurt him again. I get it. For me personally, I don't mind that he's like kind of single track mind because I don't I don't think he's that single track. It is the thing he cares about most in the world, but it has a context of he wants to stop the dread gods from hurting his his valley, even though they suck. Uh, you know, and the kind of thing of I don't think ambition or a desire for power is inherently a negative thing i think it is just kind of i think it's interesting in its own right and it can be used for either it's morally neutral to want to be powerful in my in my mind it's i think we we associate ambition and the desire for power with villains but this was kind of like this is a different world where everyone is trying to get more powerful his desire is not unusual or or negative it's something that everyone in the world wants and I kind of really liked the way, for one, for one thing, like the way he's so single-minded is the way we actually get explanations and how things works. 
uh, he wants to understand this new power. So we understand the new power, you okay. know, and he spends a lot of time just thinking about like, how do you get more powerful in this world where we're going to see because Lenin is going to show us how you get uh, more powerful. And I find him very inventive. I really like whenever he's soul smithing, which comes up mm-hmm. basically in the second book. Like this is a, something his mom, his mom did and he wants to learn how to do. It's not necessarily what I like about it is that soul smithing if i was in the cradle world i would not be interested in this at all i think this is kind of like it feels like a side quest i don't think i was like how can you be more powerful with just making stuff i don't i don't think this it's not interesting to me but Lyndon chooses this path even though like to me it seems like the less efficient way to get more powerful because it's something it's just it has like a family thing of like this was his mom was his safety his mom was like probably one of the few people his mom and his sister basically were the only people who treated him well and so like i i totally get like the association he has soul smithing with something very positive for him it was very like so i really liked that that was something he was drawn to he wants to build he wants to and it's something he gets really good at is like thinking of like how he's going to create and i really like that about him and i like that he gets powerful and i like that he cares about being powerful i think it's just it works for me to, to get- add to that, so I don't just go anil- completely just hating on Lyndon. I do agree with you. I do like that he's ambitious, and I do like whenever he goes into soulsmithing. I wish we spent more time with either part of this. Hmm. Like, for example, in there are occasionally the book makes noises about how Lyndon is overworking himself. I think like it's it's either Gesha or Cassius who. A fan a spiel about like you are overworking this key these kids. Where was the last time they did something other than train and practice? Yeah, that's Cassius. And I really, yeah, and I really wish they did lean into that more. Like, like that he's ambitious. I'd like to see more of like what this sort of for overworking himself does to him. It it that 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 does happen a little bit in the background, right? We. We are told that he works really hard, but most of what we see are like the fruits of those labors. And Winter Steel comes to mind again, where he is he's leading the team and he's like losing hours because he is going and hunting remnants in 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 my head it's like a maze, but it's, it's the, the hunting grounds essentially, right? Yeah. And he's he's losing time because he's building constructs and also he's taking on extra tasks to keep the team ahead and all of these things. So it's explored a little bit there, but for the most part you don't you don't get to see that. And and yeah, I, I think I think more still smithing would have been cool. Yeah. Um because you I think you get a little bit of the power of this profession, as it were, in in when we see uh Reagan Shen. Because he is yeah. He is a, a soulsmith, and his entire path is based on like sacred treasures and artifacts and uh, and constructs. Obviously, mm-hmm. he is immensely powerful himself as a monarch, but he's not the the punchy punchy shooty shooty type of guy. He is. I have a rocket launcher that I built, and it has your name on its <laughs> nuclear. It's boom, specifically boom thing. designed to kill you. Like, yeah. <laughs> speaking, speaking of anime, speaking of anime references, if you are a Fate fan, then Reagan Shen might remind you very much of Gilgamesh from Fate. <laughs> he, the same thing, the same thing where Gilgamesh also his superpower is that he has a key to a library of sacred treasures. Ah, uh, well, that's the, cool. the, 
<laughs> the Tony Stark effect, right? Money is the best superpower. Uh, let's go talk Lots about a character that that we like more than than Universally. <laughs> we we've talked about Ethan a lot throughout the episode. And I don't think there is much we need to add. But is there anything that we want to because 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 I, I want to just like mostly skip over Ethan because we've talked about him so much. I like his he is my favorite character. He <laughs> is my favorite character. Because like I did tease I wanted to talk to talk more about him earlier. So right. the fruition of that is that Ethan as a character just draws on so many tropes that are just yes for me. It's like the the emphasis on perception, like the Aurelius bloodline legacy, like he sees everything. He has access to so much information that he doesn't share unless he needs to, which anybody who's watched Diceborn, <laughs> our Square of Adventure Game yeah, podcast, yeah. Like, might see, like, this is a character concept I really like. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it problematic? Maybe, but it's fun <laughs> and I love it. And also, now that we know he's Osriel, it's like that. But like we we've saw all along is like that inner darkness to him. Like he it's like we see it with Hoyd periodically. It's like the doctor from Doctor Who has this. And it's like when like they lean into that, it's like, yes. And like there's so many characters that are like in the same archetype and it's like every one of them I love. Mm-hmm. Ah. you gotta have like the troll face on the outside because otherwise it doesn't mean anything when they drop the mask yeah. um yeah. It, like that that moment i always love it it's sort of like you know like when a song reaches its reaches its climax the highest point you you can't enjoy like that that moment in the song without having listened to the first three minutes kind of thing it's mm-hmm. when the mask comes down it's like crack i'm like this is crunchy i love this i want to dive in and just live in this moment i love it so much um but it was like i i had ethan pegged uh basically from his first scene he does he's not even interacting with someone he's just walking around the town in yeah. soul smith like and like mm-hmm. paying attention to people and you can t- i could just tell immediately what kind of guy he mm-hmm. was gonna be <laughs> was just, and, and he's, he's, he's doing like, little things right he's he's yep. setting the yeah. ladder for the person mm-hmm. who's gonna fall he's giving a flower to this lady and he's paying attention to other stuff and you can into the way he's thinking about people and interacting with people i'm like oh yeah this guy is a huge jerk and i love him so much um yeah, but yeah. you know in the kind of way that you know the the good guy protagonist uh i think like in tv tropes this would be called like the guile hero in some ways he's actually super powerful and doesn't maybe qualify but it's like the same way some of these guile heroes are just complete jerks and like they they're masters of like misdirecting uh people away from the topics they don't really want to talk about and they'll mm. and they'll be huge jerks while smiling the whole time to to get uh their way which i'm like all right because what i love about these characters is like for one i can take it as a given that they actually probably are a good guy and like in black flame that 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 was proven i was like yep this is exactly the man I thought he was going to be. He cares about his clan and was like, and cares about their progression and is going to be there to protect them and all of that kind of good stuff. And that means I can enjoy the trolley parts even more. I just, uh, for me, it's like, I love these characters. They just feel so rich. And I love, I just have loved Ethan from the moment he stepped on screen. It's a bit like Kelsier, isn't it? 
A little bit. Yeah. Kelsier's not my favorite, but uh, he I would agree more with the Hoyd. He's like he's a little bit more all knowing. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And he can. Mm-hmm. It's almost like he can pick and choose the way he wants to present himself to whoever he's interacting with at the time. He has a different face for every situation and that's why i really really like the moments when he puts puts them down and like just wants he wants to be friends with lyndon and yaren but he needs them to be a little bit more adult he needs them to be a little bit more grown up and powerful but that's what he wants he wants to have a friendship and i'm like oh this is it this is oh i love him it's it's very difficult if not impossible to have a relationship of any kind romantic friendly, familial, whatever, when mm-hmm. there is a massive like power gap between mm-hmm. uh between the people, right? So if you want that, you gotta and if you're on the top, like you gotta you gotta bring the rest of yeah. the gang up. And I kind of enjoy, appreciate also that he doesn't try and take he he is like their mentor in a sense, but like he never tries to take the parental like he, like even controlling like vibe with them. He's not going to tell them what to do. He actually keeps like his hopes for them and his future with them like really on the down low until like it almost feels like he's waiting until he, he's certain about them and like are they going to be capable of reaching me? And it's sort of like when he when he reaches that moment of like okay yeah I think these guys can make it the whole way. That's when he's that's when he shares like his heart. He's like I want. I want to progress with people. I want, I want to not be alone. And I think, and he, and you know, like I love, I love that he likes them. You know, he's like, oh, Lyndon and Yaren, I love you guys. <laughs> like you, and guys. Then it's, chip, you guys. Chip, chip, chip. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that Yaren and and Lyndon are like just like get out of here. I love that Yaren is like always so like. I love that she's like so vicious, but it's uh it's so good. Uh, I love it. I love the trio. Uh, what book was it that that oh there there was there was a running gag through it may have been reaper where people were just literally physically kicking yeah Aethon out of the room <laughs> or whatever <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think uh, it was reaper yeah. yeah i think it was yeah mm-hmm. i think i said a lot about Aethon already but i will just say it did take me like until like underlord for him to grow on me and in fact i think like in black flame was way too controlling and like taking sometimes felt like he took the agency of the narrative from lindon basically pushing him onto the black flame path but he grew on me with time when the power gap between him and lindon and yarin grew shorter the the most amusing thing at least to me personally is the very reason I started, I actually finished this series, I picked it back up after that, you know, book throwing moment in Soulsmith, because when Reaper came out, I was just blissfully clicking on all the spoilers, and I found out that Afan has this massive secret. I know you're shaking your head, Arjun, but I didn't intend to read those <laughs> books at the time, so it's yeah. not like I was looking at spoilers for something I was planning to read. Yeah, that's... That's still morally wrong. And, and sometimes <laughs> a good spoiler is the perfect incentive to them. Exactly. I the, don't I got spoiled, got spoiled mm-hmm. on the fact that Afan was Osriel. I was like, hey, I am intrigued. I want to see how this comes about. There is actually a lot of the moments I can't really enumerate them like right now on the top, off the top of my head. It is very fun to read the book knowing that he's Osriel and... Thing like his oblique remarks and 
world falls into this, oh, he's actually an extremely powerful like dev god from outer space. Yeah. There's a moment in Soulsmith, it like in his introductory scenes, I believe, where we are in his POV and he walks like I, I think it, it might be the mo the, the intro where he walks down the street and is like, mm -hmm. Oh, there, there's no one there's no one in this place who is on the same power level as me. Which gets really funny when you find out he's underlord. It gets really <laughs> funny when you find out he's also real. Well, like, the the other like really interesting thing along those lines in in that opening scene is when he notices Serial's marble, the marble, and, yeah, and he makes the comment. It's like, oh, it must have been made by somebody on my own level. There's like, I, I think that might be the one that I'm thinking of. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it's just like, it's like, oh, haha, ha, like he he thinks. It, that was made by an underlord and it's like no like literally yeah. on his level and that's what draw drew him to linden linden like he trusts serial's judgment it's like hey serial yeah. likes this guy i'm gonna i'm gonna look into him so really so who gave linden the leg up with serial well she did bring him <laughs> back to life so i mean i guess in every single <laughs> It's a big leg up, yes. It's all Serial's <laughs> fault. The biggest leg up was bringing him back to life. <laughs> that that helps. That helps a lot. I, yeah, I love so... it when when healing goddesses of healing bring me back to life after someone invades my world who's not supposed to. Yeah. And <laughs> chops your body in half and you see yourself as your head falls. I'm like moving on. <laughs> That's Absolutely. a scene in the soul. Yeah. I have a Yaren thing I want to talk about. And I think Yaren. It's, yeah. Let's go Yaren. I really like Yaren. I liked her less in Bloodline and Reaper. I felt like after she fused really? with Ruby, I felt like mm -hmm. Will didn't quite know what to do with her. And all, because I felt like all she did during these books, this was, this was the flatidization thing that I kind of talked about. And I think I, every time I read one of these books now, I have a message with, with Ian and Shannon where I'm like, I complain about Yaren. Mm -hmm. The whole mm -hmm. metaphor and phrases thing that she does, where she like, oh, everything is a is like a is like a oh, I don't like the cut of your jib. Or is like, like oh folksy. She has like folksy little Yeah, little mm -hmm. phrases, phrases that she says. I feel like that wasn't as prevalent in a character previously, but then in those two books, it felt like it's every line. And then I counted in Dread God. This complaint doesn't go into Dreadgod because she has a really good arc in Dreadgod. But the first five lines she says are all these types of phrases. The sixth line isn't because she just says no. And then the next four lines she says are all these these like little phrases. And oh, I'm like, wow. I don't like this. This is too much. You can say them every so but I'm like, I'm sitting there and I'm like, can you just talk normally? Just like a little bit. Just just like a little bit, please. But yeah, I hmm. I, I don't like it as much. And I feel like it's a it's a Ruby fusion thing because I didn't notice it before, but I definitely started noticing it after the Ruby thing. And I like. Yeah. I definitely thought it was there a lot in the early book. Like that was I a also thought character was it? defining, but but I haven't like Ish. looked specifically. That's the thing is I haven't gone back to check, and I probably should before I made this complaint. Yeah, <laughs> but that'd be, but that'd be interesting. Yeah, it's it's yeah. There's one book left. The perfect excuse for a reread of the entire series exactly right? <laughs> exactly i probably will actually before before Waybound. but yeah I, I if i was worried about dread god but then she had a really good arc in dread god so i didn't mind it as much didn't notice it as much and i would say Yerin is one of my favorite characters in this series completely 
I do like her folksy sayings, and I do like that she is more brush and less polite than most of the rest of the cast. And so it didn't jump out at me. Like, thinking back on it now that you said it, I definitely can remember that, yeah, it, it seems to have increased a bit in intensity. I never really minded in the first place, so I don't don't think I paid it that much attention. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I... Yeah, she's cool. Yerin is cool. She is cool. She is. She does <laughs> cool sword things. Yeah. I feel like the book really overuses the phrase, her sword rang like a bell. Yeah. That's like her super move. <laughs> yeah. It's always cool when she does it. Uh, it, it always is. It's like the, the thing where she cuts her hair using it. Like, that's cool. That is, the, that is really cool. Yeah. And, and it's not the sword, like, it's the sword madra in yeah. the aura. The sword in arm. The yeah. Oh. I love her sword so, arm. Yeah, she has sword arms. Yeah, yeah. yeah. the ones growing from her anymore. back. Those are so cool. Yeah, but lots of gold signs are just for fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's kind of unique in that she kind of has like a, a functional gold sign. A lot of people don't. I think there was a path with like literal yeah. storm clouds over over people's heads. <laughs> Yerid rules like for the first little bit. She's like the grumpy but heart of gold mentor to to him, or like or older you know like older not older sister but like older student like they're like you're you're a freshman and she's the senior um and she's just like so cool and you know so she's just like i just love i just love how grumpy she is i love how that she's just the no bs kind of character i she and she cracks me up she's just like she'll she'll be mean and try and like help linden out and she's like oh you idiot this is what you have to do but she'll tell him what to do and then she'll she'll fight ethan on on his behalf or her own behalf you know she's just like the no bs person and and you know it's actually like really what got me a lot was her one of one of her i can't remember if it's the underlord or overlord i can't remember what they're for was the kind of like i am not my mentor and like that mm-hmm. was devastating oh yeah it's like i am not the sword sage was like oh it, that really hurt you know mm-hmm. just the way she had to confront the fact that she's going to turn out to be different than uh her her master and like that was crushing to her because she she loves him and misses him so much, but she has just a I, lot I of. I think that was Overlord because because that led to like her and and Ruby figuring things out. Yeah, yeah. Because she's like, I'm not just sword person; I'm also blood person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She has like for me, she has my favorite like character arc with her relationship with her blood magic. And she has the the cool powers. I am always down for some cool sword magic. Yeah. And she has this like grumpy, takes no BS personality that I really enjoy. So she is all around my favorite character in this series. And the early books, she carried me through them. <laughs> I don't think I have much to say about Yaren. She she she's very straightforward, right? Mm-hmm. And. And a lot of the things that she is and she does, I don't personally relate to because she's kind of the more traditional protagonist whose solution is to punch things or things and ask questions later. But she's, of course, not the protagonist, right? She's a, kind of reminds me of like Toph, you know? 
Mm-hmm. Toph from Avatar. It's sort of like she, in the way that she is just yeah. so straightforward. You know, uh, Toph is always telling Aang, like, you know, it's like, you don't don't think about it. Don't try and be cute or clever. You just have to get stronger. Go yep. straight through. And that's what kind of what Yaren is like. He's just like, don't, you can't trick your way into getting stronger. You can't plan your way into getting stronger. You just have to progress. And progress the right uh, way. I yeah. I will say that I wish we had gotten more or maybe not more. I wish we'd gotten a different exploration into her relationship with her blood chattel. Mm. Because I think as a concept, I love the idea. Like there are culturally speaking, there are types of like magic in fantasy that we associate with good and evil, right? Healing magic, light magic, usually good, blood magic, death magic, usually bad, right? Yeah. And therefore we apply that to the practitioners of those magics. And so having a character who was a practitioner of blood magic, who was a good character and a main character, is really, really cool. And I love that. But I don't think we have enough of like... That blood magic Essentially, essentially we yeah. don't have enough of Ruby in yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. Right. Yep. Mm. Uh, so and so I, I wish we'd had, we'd had more of it. Yeah. No, I see what uh, you mean. Um, I like. I. Th- I feel like there wasn't a lot in between. The blood shadow is really scary, and this is an awful thing to do. And then we have a quick like, oh, maybe I can be different from my master. And then two seconds later, it's like, and now blood magic is good, and sh- we're gonna we're gonna merge. Yep. I feel like I wanted a little bit more than just like the the one scene of like, how can blood magic be good, or how could it? How can yep. we prove that it's just a morally neutral thing and not like a these these freaks who who worship the phoenix uh the, the bleeding and, phoenix and it also would have helped to have like more blood madra like paths out because like we yeah. are told that it can be used as a healing path if i recall let's correctly. see a blood let's see a blood healing but path. we don't see that yeah mm-hmm. yeah so yeah. my thoughts on yaren are very similar to my thoughts on linden in that, like in that, like I don't want to call Yaren bland because she is not, but like she kind of is a counterbalance to like, Linden's sort of blandness. So like, and they they strike a good balance of like, yeah, okay, like we have this duo, this is our baseline, and then we add in like extra weird things periodically. Yeah, I see what you mean. But like they. Um, they form a stable foundation together yeah in a, a way i like but like i don't like she's not my favorite character like she's fine i like her linden it would be a lot harder to just forgive linden's bit of gladness if yaren wasn't there mm-hmm. and yeah. and yeah and likewise yeah. i think a book of just yaren i uh, like could easily <laughs> stray into too much see i was think i was i was thinking of saying that but then i was like actually no i could read a book of just Yaren as the main character. I'm like, I like Yaren. I think she's cool. I feel and like the, it's the, kind the of like my thing with Surreal. Yeah. It's like, I, I don't, right now, given what we have of Yaren and Surreal, like, I couldn't imagine more than what we have. It's like, I can't make that work in my imagination. Um, I can't imagine a world where Yaren is actually the main character. It, like, it's just so much about how it's gone. It's like, she doesn't have that drive to do the impossible. Yeah. yeah. and She's kind of conventional. That's not- that's not how I would have phrased it, but yeah, when you when you think about the overall plot of Cradle, it is Linden like pushing things forward. Yaren is a huge contributing factor, 
like she does a lot of the heavy lifting. She is the knowledgeable one, at least at the beginning. But the person who's going, let's do this thing, is usually Lyndon. I feel like Yerin could carry her own story, but it would not be the same story that we've been told no. in Cradle. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. She doesn't have the same motivations. Like, Lyndon wants to, like, get everyone on on a on a super power level and then maybe leave the world or whatever. Yerin wants to care for the people around her and, and herself and figure out what's up with the Sword Sage and things like that. Now that we've got the main trio out of the way, how about that supporting cast, eh? Uh, what are... Let's do a round table of it. Favorite characters that are not one of our main trio. Well, Mercy's an easy one. Don't know anyone who does Mercy like Mercy. Mercy's an easy one, yeah. yeah. She's kind of the cheerleader. Yeah, yeah. I like Zeal, because he's... I like the stoic, wounded... Mm-hmm. guy you know he's just like he's he's so morose and he has had such bad things happen to him and he's given up and then he learns that life is possible again and he's gonna get healed and he has antlers and a giant hammer and he's green <laughs> yep. I, I just love it Ziel <laughs> is just all the all the tropes that are just my catnip I love I, the trope I of like him. He's like he's super damaged. His mantra's all like all messed up. Um, I almost said the other thing. Uh, his <laughs> mantra's all messed up, and you know he he thinks he's totally given up and he's so disinterested. But it's in a kind of like way that you can tell is totally like a flinch reaction. Like something really really bad happened to this guy. He's not he's not a boring guy who just is to- is doesn't care. He doesn't care because that's his protective yeah, uh, yeah. that's his protective like- shell. Mm-hmm show so he doesn't just descend into weeping like he's just gonna fall up he's gonna fall apart no and i just i love that he gets his arc of like he gets to come back he's now one of the main guys i love that he's like in the main party and like he's like linden is like nope i'm not gonna leave you behind i don't care you're coming with me now i'm pulling you guys up with me i don't i don't care i love that hey hey, zeal oh wait we're not talking about uh trick out yet don't worry about me (sighs) <laughs> I love this. It's mostly in Bloodline that Zil has this like there are those moments in Blood Bloodline where he's like has this urge to actually help because situation this whole situation in Bloodline is reminding him of what happened to his own set. Yeah. So he's got those moments of flaring up, I want to help them, or by just immediate push down of but I don't want to be hurt again yep. the same way I was yep. before. Mm-hmm. And the the whole moment in the end of blood near the end of bloodline where the part of like I want to help those people finally wins out did not talk about it in the favorite moments bit but it's definitely <laughs> one of those like yeah. moments for me. That's that funny. Is very relatable yeah. in some ways. Zeal in bloodline is when I finally got him. I, I I for a, the longest time I can't remember when he was introduced. I think it was like uh, Ghostwater. There you go. He's, he's in Ghostwater. I think it was like two books later. I saw people talking about Zeal, and I saw that Zeal had like a really dedicated, really pe- some people really liked Zeal. And I got like two books after he was introduced. I was like, oh, when does he get good? Because I I don't like he's pretty boring so far. And everyone's like, oh no, I loved him from the moment he turned up. I'm like, how? Like I yeah, he just it wasn't that he didn't click with me. I was just kind of like. 
He's just a guy. He's just there. The, trope, the tropes <laughs> didn't align. You didn't yeah. see what we saw. No, I didn't. Like, I didn't. <laughs> I feel like I didn't see that potential you guys were talking about of like, yeah. oh, we could see these tropes being used now because in the future that's going to lead. And I think it just didn't click in my head. I think I, I just he just didn't seem to care much. And I was it like, was well, like, I don't care. It was then. like in a making <laughs> the impossible possible thing with him again because it was yeah. like so like he's so messed up. He's never going to be what he was. And for me, it was like the. Of course, it's Cradle. They're gonna they're gonna do the impossible, <laughs> and he is him. gonna. They are gonna fix him, and he is gonna get yeah. his power back. Yeah. yeah. Hey. But then in Bloodline, he started showing off a bit. Of it was it was when he was trying to convince the clan to to listen to him. That's when I was like, oh, okay, I like this zeal, and then I really liked him in Dreadgod. So Mercy and Zeal are both great. Uh, I do want to shout out Serial. I, I like Serial. Serial, like she's she's great. She's just nice. Like how casually omnipotent she is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I... So, so I have a character I, I wish I could say is one of my favorites, but okay. he's not because count. he's not the character that I, that I want him to be. And I, and, I, and I have a character that I actually genuinely like. The, the character that I, that I would like to, to call favorite is Gadriel. The, uh, oh. the, the, the tank. Abaddon, yeah, the the guy with the big shield, uh, because I play a tank in all of the games, and I love that <laughs> archetype. Except he's an asshole, and I don't like him. Yeah, <laughs> but I wish that were not the case. So so many judges are like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of judges, I I really like Makiel. At least I liked him up until Reaper. I did not like him as of Dreadgod, but like he was. It was what we were talking about with Afan, a character who like sees everything and acts on that. Makiel, that is Makiel's whole thing of like seeing everything. And oh, I hate him. He's an yeah, asshole. None of the likable things. <laughs> none of the yeah. likable parts. He's, he's so I'm... he's so controlling. It's like uh, it's yeah, like one it's of like... those in a paternalistic way. Like <laughs> I know better it's than you. Just, uh, just that I like him and more that I find him interesting. Mm. I find his this whole world he's an interesting. Yeah, the he Dreadgod is. really like pushed it over in the terms of I don't think I like actually like him. I think he I think he's so condescending. Like especially to yeah. other judges too. It's sort yeah. of like the I know best and that means you're stupid. Listen yeah. to me. It, it's like the reason uh. why I like um Ethan is like I think he knows everything, and I tr trust that he has my best interests at heart. Whereas Machiel knows everything. I'm like, I don't trust your intentions yeah. at yes, all. Yes, he is best interest in heart. Yeah, yeah. I uh, like I like him in not in the sense of like I want to hang out with him, and I think he's a likable character. I like him in the sense that he's interesting, and I want to see what Jercastery he has in store. Interesting characters are good. Yeah. Uh, but the character I genuinely like is Kelsa. Oh, yeah, she's great. Uh, yeah, she's cool. She's fine. Yeah. Linda's sister. And yeah. I think Jai Long did not deserve her, and Jai Long can go piss off. <laughs> you can go get hit oh, by a bunch of my. launch constructs or something. I am, I am a Jai Long fan. <laughs> the only yeah, That's your no. character. That's your character. <laughs> I like his sister. Yeah, Jai, Jai Long was like the first first character other than Yering, so I guess the second character <laughs> that I liked in this series. And yeah, he is an asshole, and like the story doesn't try to pretend he's not. I liked that his motivation was like his motivation of like helping his sister and going against his whole clan over it. 
even if his sister turned out to, at least to me, be about as both personality and interesting as a lamp standing in the corner, I do not like Jai Chen. <laughs> Yeah, she's not is, much of a character. She's not she's, much of anything. I like her I don't, purely I don't because dislike her. Yeah. her goal sign is called Fingerling, and I love that that name. Like, oh. <laughs> I, I just I just like Fingerling, uh, and so I like Jai Chen as a as a as a as yeah, uh, by extension, but as by by association. <laughs> yeah. I'm like I'm like I'm like oh Jai Chen's having some. Where's Fingerling? What's he up to? What's he doing? What's that little, <laughs> little scamp up to? I like Jai Chen because like she was a potential like like in that alternate timeline yeah. that serial showed linden where like he died because the dread god attacked it was like she was the one that married him and so i was like okay like she was like a good enough person to like marry the guy everybody thought was garbage like hey she's also and, like she's just really sweet nice. like she's nice just i find her the dumbest like she for me she, it's not like like that i dislike her i mean it's not like i don't like her in the sense of like i hate her or anything i just don't have any feelings about jai chen <laughs> you know, I, I really like jai long and but i think like after sky swarm it feels like the story didn't know what to do with him after the duel so he just vanishes from the plan the to do with anything it didn't feel yeah. like there was a plan that he it didn't feel like he was like a failed potential. It felt like he had his part and then he was put down on purpose. Like that's kind of like, what it felt like to yeah, me. Yeah, but and I think if the story like ended with him just leaving after Sky Swarm, I would be feel more okay with it because when he does get brought back up into the plot, it feels like the story doesn't really know what to do with him except to clown on him as a way to show how far Lyndon has progressed. Like I, I did not enjoy the fact that he's being used as this measuring stick to show how far Lyndon has come because I liked him more than I liked Lyndon. So, <laughs> you know, per well, personal not, preference. Well, everyone gets used as a... Everyone Lyndon surpasses gets a comparison yeah. moment. I don't know. <laughs> like his Lyndon's parents. Story. Like his parents. That was a great <laughs> measuring great stick moment. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you, I... Like, you can tell so much about his parents from, like, the different ways they react to his now incomprehensible power and knowledge through his dad. Yeah. Through his dad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no. Once more to the to the pantheon of terrible fantasy dads. <laughs> <laughs> do we want to talk about Dread God now? Because I feel like it. we were starting to get into Dread God. We're, a we're picking bit. at it, aren't we? We're, we're beginning to pick at it. So on that note, let us move on properly into talking about Dreadgods, latest book, which we definitely have opinions about at this point. Yes. So, Some of us do. Uh, I liked it. I think it's it, it. I feel exactly the same way about it as all the other Cradle books was great. That was awesome. Next one, please. Yep. yep. <laughs> I liked this book less than some others mostly because this is a setup for the last book it was it was doing a lot of heavy lifting like there was like it it was a good book i genuinely enjoyed it it's just it's setting up for waybound and so it's a reaper isn't it for me i have mixed feelings about dread god because for me dread god is like 80 percent a book i really enjoyed 
than 20% a heavily abridged version of a book that might have been good if it was actually written. Mm-hmm. It's like Dreadgod has those two like distinct arcs to me, where one plot arc is you know, fighting against the Silent King. Called? Silent King. And the, the finale yeah. to that one, the fight between uh, between Lyndon and company and Silent King is awesome, and I feel like it could be an excellent way to end the book. Because the book has to also set up Wayband, then we get this super abbreviated heist story where they prep for fighting the Dread Gods, and I really wish that either this book was longer or was like just downright split in two, because I feel like this last 20%... 15%, something like that, super rushed to me. Mm-hmm. Because of that, the mm-hmm. actual final part of the book, the fight with Akura Malis, uh, feels to me just rushed and doesn't have the same impact that the fight against the Silent King had. Mm. I don't know that I agree that that's a bad thing because it feels like the correct pacing for the scope that they are now at if they are at the point where he has the power of a dread god and they're working on the next plan and fighting the dread gods and monarchs to stop and like expand like a little like heist section feels like it would be a a a mistake i feel like that would be like why are these super powerful people struggling with breaking into a vault kind of situation you know so for me it's sort of I do agree that there was some element of being rushed at the end, but that wasn't like it. I wouldn't want a fight with Malice to have the same impact as as the Silent King because they are supposed to be on different levels. And like that's that's sort of how I, how I am. It I thought the ending was abrupt, but it wasn't really. I'm always like imagining like archive reading. Like when I read this, when I reread this in the future, this I'm gonna like this just fine because mm. I'm gonna go straight into the next one after they leave their hyperbolic time chamber. Yes, Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> this is 100 yeah. what that is. <laughs> Dragon Ball Z. Um, so I'm like, um, oh, that felt abrupt. I wish we had. I like. I wish I had a little bit more of a denouement. I, I do agree with the rushed thing, but it's a complaint I've had for like, I think since they hit Lord level. I think for some reason in my head I was expecting, because the 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 advancement was supposed to get harder the higher up you go, but we have still been hitting one advancement a book, and, I, and I, it, was, it was pretty much since they hit the Lord level that I was kind of like, oh man, he's hit Overlord already? Okay. Oh, he's hit Sage already? Okay. Is it, oh, he's hit Archlord? Okay. Oh, he's, he's you know. Uh, it just felt and so because this is a complaint I've had for a while, but then also, that's also that speed is what I like about the book. So I almost feel like I can't complain about it too much because I'm like, if they slowed it down and there was more books and there was longer time between these cool hype moments, I'd probably like the series less because then it's not that super fast paced thing. And so I'm like, yeah. I, I like, I do agree this one, it's, uh, like, it's, it's a little rushed, but then I feel like they've been a little rushed for a while. So I'm like, and also I'm like, I like them because they're a little rushed. So it's it's I hard. It. Yeah, yeah, this is... that is hard. Yeah, yeah. The 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 endings don't always work for me. Uh, like I don't hate any of the endings, but they don't always land as well as a, a Sanderson ending might for me. Might mm. be. sure. Yeah. The one that does really really land for me is sure. the Winter Steel one. Okay. <laughs> well, re- yes, Reaper. I was like. <gasps> Yeah. Okay. Yes. Winter Obviously, Steel. Yes. What was the end of? You got, you got to remind Winter me. Winter Steel is the moment with the badge, 
where yeah. they have to talk Ooh. about where the sage term comes from yeah. and it's the unsold symbol on the badge yeah like that callback all the way to book one exquisite mm. yeah right um, as they're heading back to the sacred valley it was kind of like it was finishing the ring yeah, yeah. no it's a it's a beautiful full circle but I, I don't i don't have much to talk about about dread god it was fine i enjoyed that didn't enjoy it as much as reaper or underlord uh mm. or uncrowned tournament or i keep calling it uncrowned tournament it's just uncrowned <laughs> but it was it was fine like i enjoyed it yeah the, there was a moment that i wanted to bring up earlier when we were talking about athan but i couldn't mm. because it's in this book <gasps> i wonder if it's gonna be the same uh, moment as i want to bring up it's the whole unmasking thing yes uh and it's it's from the from the chapter one or the prologue or whatever it is when he's he's on trial and and he's he's jovial and he's funny and he's Ethan and and there's a moment when the mask he's drops and he goes rage. I should have butchered all of you. I was like, oh, <laughs> give me more of that. <laughs> See, that that's interesting because like that read as fake to me. I'm like, no, it he felt is as... like it didn't feel as like a mask drop. It's like he is playing into expectations there. There was a little bit of that, but it like, did read as real because it's sort of like when you go back to like when you go back and see friends you haven't seen for a long time and all of a sudden you find yourself acting and like, oh my god, you like butcher all of them. No, no. <laughs> you know when like you you were seeing people you haven't seen in a really long time and you've changed since then, but you go back and all of a sudden you're like, Oh my god, I'm like I'm so embarrassed. Like, why am I acting like I used to? Because it's like it's almost uncontrollable. It felt real, but like because it was like it's the way he used to be with them. It was like this is how we used to feel. He used to feel this rage with them all the time. And it was having played the part of Ethan so much was how he was able to get his self-control back because he's Osriel, that full of rage, and he's so angry at the at them all. But he's also now Ethan, and now he knows it's kind of like being Ethan almost gave him the power to manage his own anger. Yeah. I was <laughs> manage so friends. Better. I was so it's worried. Friends that. and family get oh. under your skin much yeah. more easily, right? Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. The the line that felt more genuine was like the like my hands are bloody because like he's the one that kills worlds yeah. more so than any others like well, that was but like they made him do like it the gen- like yeah it was for them it was their system that he was doing it for so it's sort of like I absolutely buy the rage because it mm-hmm. was it was them who made him become this thing that he hates or hated. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, for me it's like that felt more like dropping of the mask and it's like the like i should have slaughtered all of you was just like too much the other direction and it's like like because like he isn't osriel anymore like yeah well he is he, he is like he, he that's, is that's but like me. he has grown past it's like no, i don't that think felt... that's genuinely how he is that's like, so that like, I think is he how was, i feel i loved that moment for the same reason as evgeny it was like that felt real that felt like Maybe not a mask drop, but it did feel like to the core of like he has not had to be this angry because he's been away from the judges. Mm -hmm. He's he's been able to put it away until he's faced with them again. And he can't. I thought it was like it felt like a loss of control of like and we never we've never seen him lose control. Yeah. And I. It's like I I think there's I think there's something to it. So I, I don't I don't necessarily think that there is a genuine desire for him to like kill all of them or genuine regret that he hasn't killed all of them. But it's, mm-hmm. 
you know, I, I don't know if anyone else felt that way, but when I read Bloodline and we got back to Sacred Valley, there was just this frustration at how reluctant everyone was to work with Lyndon and, and listen to him. And, and there was a part of me that just wanted him to go a little bit, a little bit to town and just... yeah. Kill someone, yeah. <laughs> or or punch someone into into the infirmary or whatever. Just let that anger out and like get things done. And and I think there is part of there is a big part of Osriel that is like, you guys are getting in my way. I want to do things. Yeah. Okay. So. What, I have what, one more, more thought on this, is that like, Osriel, Ethan, like, sees more than anyone else. Like, I don't think he just lost control, like, got angry. It's like, like, he broke and said that. And, like, that might be, like, true to some of his feelings, like, for a reason. Like, he has some sort of plan. Like, he didn't just break because, like, he's frustrated. It's like, like, no, like, that's the sort of thing he has to do to, like get him shackled or something i don't know but like it's like i there was a purpose to mind i totally believe that there was a part of him that was like mm -hmm. making a plan and trying to present a certain way i don't believe that everything he did in that scene was like a big mastermind like i'm gonna get myself put in a situation it didn't read that way to me at all he had to deal with whatever they were gonna do and mm -hmm. he was probably always gonna be chained as soon as he left that room it lots of it actually did feel real of like he's having to talk to these people he hasn't talked to and a really long time and he's different now and surreal is kind of the only one who really sees that he is different that different how, different how different he is now was something i was really worried about i was worried we'd lost ethan when he revealed himself as osriel and i really like that he has like the, the osriel character we get glimpses of in serials um how she talks to him about the the, the flashbacks we get in Reaper. 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 Uh, I was worried he turned into that character, and I'm really glad that when he became when he when he's back with the Abaddon, uh, he he took Ethan with him. He he carried that Ethanness with him, and you can I'm like, good. I'm glad he. And I, I would say he's like a combination. Ethan, right? Yeah, he feels mm. more Ethan than the Osriel we saw in the past. Now, but that Osriel yeah. is he, he, it's still there, as you guys have been saying. It's it's, but is it um is it I... fake or you know? I think I'm more with Ian on this one that I think that particular moment in that scene was like, I, I think he does feel that frustration and like, if I could just wring their necks, it would be very cathartic. But I think that there was that somewhat deliberately just as like letting them know how he actually feels. Interesting. Yeah. Cause like he, yes, he is Osriel. But, like, he's Osriel that has lived through Ethan's life. So it's like, because, it like, it just Ethan was big. always yeah. Osriel. Like, you know, it's like, I can see him doing it on purpose, but, like, not in a way that, like, it was a, it was an act. In no way was that an it act. It was still genuine. In a way, if even if it was part of a plan, it was, I'm going to be genuine for part of the plan. Yeah, it's and like, it definitely drew on something. But, like, yeah. it wasn't and that part of, losing control. And I can't follow you there. We've talked a lot about this scene. Uh, yeah. I think we've said all we're going to say. I We're going to agree to disagree on our points. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the things, really quickly, 
I don't remember this Emrys woman, but I really, really liked her in this book. <laughs> she's bad to this book. She's, she's I was just like, she ruled. She ruled. I'm like, oh my God, she's, I forgot so much about her. I'm like, oh my God, she's dead. I don't remember that. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. She was, she's the only one who like believes in this plan and helps them facilitate what they're going to do to make it all come out in public. And uh, she was great. She was like mentioned earlier a few times, like Uncrowned. she was shadowed basically because she like is there in the background and her people are on the Uncrowned tournament and all that. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, she is technically a new character and she was great. Like a lot of the new characters that are introduced in this book are really great. Like the the Eight Man Empire the, finally getting the you know, Eight Man yeah. Empire people. Yeah. The, the archer lady who was like, oh no, we oh, are yeah. being robbed. I just happened to not see us be robbed oh, as I yeah. sit oh, on my God. cloud in the sky. <laughs> well, like, no, like, she shot and missed. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I did, I, I did I love do, that. I do have a point on Amrus, which is yeah. like, I want to shout out Travis Baldry, the narrator of the, the cradle books it's like the here kitty kitty line <gasps> is just so good <laughs> you know maybe it's a delivery thing maybe yeah. maybe travis just yeah. saves it you know it, he does yeah. so yeah. much vas in audiobooks can definitely make or break some moments mm-hmm. yeah. it's yeah. definitely like, yeah. dread god is like what reminded me that Reagan Shen is a cat because I keep thinking of him as a dragon. I don't know why, yeah, but in my he's head, a he's always a, he's a dragon guy. But I'm like, no, no, no. Yeah. He just was working with the dragon guys and uncrowned. I love uh, um, I, There's been so many references to his endless supply of goblets that I'm like, he, he must, like, he must have an endless, like, a, a little void space have, with like, an avoids, endless supply. Avoid key, avoid key with just goblets. Endless goblets. He must do. Like, it's, no, it's, a, it's a sacred treasure that's a goblet that he can summon and dismiss. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Uh, one um, thing I really liked in Dread God Shard is goblet. I thought the, the transition after Lyndon killed the Silent King the transition into Lyndon basically becoming a dread god, I thought was like really well. Like people started saying, like, "There's something wrong with you." Like everyone's like, and he was like That's being just going to lead and right, like described slightly differently. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh yeah, he's fucking terrifying now. He went from scary to oh no, oh this guy's scary, like really, really. It was scary. the fact that. This actually leads into something I was going to bring up. I love that so much, and everyone who he talks to even like his friends and inner circle they look at him and they it's like i don't recognize linden in in him anymore except for yaren and this is like (laughs) this is part of me like the way the way i ship i don't necessarily need big romantic moments but this was something i really noticed because yaren immediately sees him and like it's like she doesn't even notice this is linden and she treats him just like she always has and so for me that was like the that was my moment of oh yeah they're in a relationship. And Look at them. They're in a relationship. The end of Ulf Ringer, didn't you? <laughs> Go away. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, that was that was my big. It's not that I love Lyndon and Yaren the ship so much or how he's written it, but that was one of those moments that I was like, this is very subtle character work that I really, really liked. And it feels so intentional that it's oh, it because it's in a series. It's in a series of Linden after killing the Silent King and observing him going to visit a bunch of his other people. So it's like a scene 
oh my god linen's different a scene oh my god linen's different oh my god linen's different and then yaren it's like then they just start talking shop they're like they're ready to go on business and like it's like she doesn't even notice it's like it's perfect she's just like oh cool you got you got that cool power from the dread god now (laughs) hey linden you know it it was it was a great character moment it was was like hilarious when he went to visit ZL and uh, and they, they were like a dread god's was- approaching, they're like get ready to fight. <laughs> well, so one one they're getting ready to fight. Two the dragon herald who's been talking so much smack <laughs> up until that point. He's like, put me back into stasis, put me back into stasis. <laughs> I have to say, like there is like a word of will that mentions that he doesn't really enjoy writing those smaller scenes and things they are extraneous to the story. When he does want to write them. They come across well. You think I like think they do? Yeah, I I wish he did it more because he does them well. Same. Yeah. It's my major complaint yeah. of the series is I wish there was a little bit more fat, a little bit more character work, a little bit more just downtime. Yeah. I think like I want it more. Rest, but, what yeah. it's there? What's there? It's because he does it so well that I want more. Because it's like okay, I know you're capable of of some of this character work, of this character relationship development. I know you can do it. You're yeah. you're you're doing pretty good, man. The one that annoyed me the most, the one that annoyed me the most was just very quickly going backwards. At the beginning of Reaper, they're like, let's take some downtime. Let's chill for like two months before we like go into the go into the labyrinth. And I was like, yes, I'm like, I'm gonna get some scenes. And then the next chapter's like, wow, that was a busy two months. Two let's months go later. into the labyrinth. <laughs> and I'm like, no, no. <laughs> yep, yep. Like the the shift was so abrupt, it I had to I had to remind myself that there was a time skip. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't like, remember. Oh, man. King yeah. of character moments. If I may have a small complaint about Dread God, I feel like Mercy was super underused yeah, in this book. Mercy yeah. felt she weird. Spends in this book, book, basically the whole book. book. Yeah. She she spends the whole book being basically locked out of the loop on anything that is happening, and being confused. Mm. It's like then the the whole like what doesn't make the the ending of the book work for me is that a lot of the part is like motivated but like we have to get mercy back and you're like and you don't she's not doing anything you don't really need her you've been doing yeah. fine without yeah, her you're doing fine without well, her, the, yeah. point, the point is not needing her oh, the point friendship. is wanting her yeah you know yeah. it's yeah. sort of like she's Linden their friend yeah. Linden doesn't need any of these people except for like maybe Yaren like that's the point the point is he wants them and it's kind of like to me like the echo of Ethan he doesn't need any of these people but he yeah. wants them yeah um, I get that, but at the same time, like just the the or specifically underused. Mercy, I felt she's not in a position to go into the final book. I'm not sure where we left her, what her whole plot was. I totally agree. Her plot was super weird this book because I, I don't, any. I don't think she let because it's like I can't. It doesn't feel like we're going into the final book, and partly because of Mercy, it's like how is her thing going to resolve? How are they? Maybe this book is going to be like 600,000 words. I don't know. But uh, it, no. <laughs> felt like she felt like her parts of the story were just her running in place where she like almost gets to yeah. a point, but yeah. then she's pulled, uh, pulled yeah. right back by her mother. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was just I think I, part of why I was like, was like, why do you need her was less that I don't like her as a character. The more than I just was frustrated with how the two she was doing in this book the story the story has done her a bit dirty uh yeah. i think mercy's mercy's character development in general has like stopped after uncrowned 
Yeah. I think Underground yeah. is the last book that I can point to that I can say, okay, Mercy had things to do of her own volition. And the rest was either she's kind of there or things happen to her. Yeah. She has like this one moment at the end of Dread God where it seems like you know, the relationship between her and her mother is going to change because Alice sees the end of the world and realizes, oh no, I was a terrible grandmother yeah. or mother. Yeah. yeah. Mother. What is the relationship? Mother. 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 And mother. Mercy also and manifested then, the armor a lot more than, than she normally has. And then it's, yeah, like in Dread God, she just runs in place. So we'll have yep, to see. Maybe that. there's like a big moment that he's waiting for in Waybound. Like I don't know. Uh, I it, mean, pres- presumably I, when we go into Waybound, like all of the characters are going to be like on the same level because they're now doing this training montage yeah. off screen, except for Mercy. Well, with Mercy, well, like yeah, we don't is she know if it's going to be off screen. She is. Yeah, they, yeah, they took her with them when the when oh they, they successfully Malice. did. Okay, see, yeah. my memory. I was like, it was so unsatisfied. I thought she was still with her mom. And on that note, yeah. How about we move into Waybound predictions? Oh, hi. Hi, Ian. Hi. Hi, hi Ian. I, do, I did think of like a question like I, I do want all of us to answer is like, okay. the, the book does end with Serial and Osriel in a very tenuous oh. position. Yeah. Do oh you my think God. either one of them is going to die? No, because we got this whole scene with the Mad King being like, if I kill Serial, I'll be like this. And if I kill Osriel, I'll be like this. And then he does this whole like, but what if I kill Machiel? But then he, and then, so we get like this kind of like three situations, but then it ends with him going, okay, well, I'm now going to kill an Abaddon. And it's kind of like so obvious he's leading us to think he's going to kill Serial. Yeah. But it's like, no, I think he's going for Machiel. I think he's going down. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh my god, and if I'm wrong, I'm gonna be so pissed because I'm like, why mm. give us this whole like setup and lead into thinking you're gonna go for Machiel instead? Like, mm. come on. Come on. Why why yeah. give us this bone if you're not gonna do anything with it? Um Yeah, it's like I definitely think Serial and Ethan are going to survive because it was like in like four out of ten, like he kills one and then like six out of ten he kills the other, but like they weren't like but like the I don't remember what the actual numbers were, but there was like yeah. some option where he fails to kill either one. And mm-hmm. like, mm, mm, it's going to be that one. We all know the one in a million ch- chances, the one that happens. Yep. Yeah. Well, you never, you never stack chances against protagonists at one in a million. Cause that's never tell me the odds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, but otherwise I don't think other than the whole Abaddon, like who's the Mad King going to kill? I don't think there's anything I actually really care about or to theorize. I think it's pretty straightforward. So we don't have a who's that cradle character prepared. Uh, we thought maybe we would, but then no one did. So we're just going to end on, hey guys, what path would you guys like to be on? The acronym would have worked. Cradle, Cosmere. Yeah, WTCC. Yeah. Yes. As we could not ask the general public. <laughs> nope. So cool. I can I can start if you guys want some time to think. Go for it. Yeah, go ahead. Sure. So I because I was on on the 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 Will White server early enough and knew people and used my nepotism to my benefit. <laughs> uh got a got a custom role, which has a path. And it is the Path of the Silver Sun, or Silver Suns, I don't remember which one I picked. And uh, because I don't do LCs or fanfic or anything of that nature, I have no idea what that path looks like, except mm-hmm. that 
historically i've always like done silver and suns and stars and things like that as like themes and monikers that i use online but i've been thinking about it throughout the episode and and i'm not committing to this in case i ever want to actually commit to this but right now i'm thinking that it's some kind of it's definitely there's definitely light in the path and i think there's also force in the path uh and i think it's mostly a defensive path uh something that builds shields and armors and defenses and barricades and things like that and then for the way it plays out is it's mostly defensive so you're mostly weathering the enemy's assault and then your offense is in the middle of you being hunkered down with your shields and armors you explode in like uh, a, a a lightning quick like attack uh that it looks like a, a light spear that like just punches the enemy because light mm -hmm. and force and things like that and then you and then you kind of go back to you know sitting behind your shield nice that's nice. pretty cool that's cool um i can go next because i'm like more. oh you took some of my stuff but it's <laughs> you know part of what was got me because what got me immediately was that when i started cradle i was like oh a lot of like the stuff like the same imagery and themes and stuff were already used in like by the judges and stuff because that that just shows me that me and will white maybe have some some of the same aesthetic this is cool and this is awesome i don't have a name for this but like i might steal like from destiny or destiny 2 because i like the way they name things like i've always loved the term sun singer and that's like one of my favorite ones and i know it's going to involve fire and it's also but in the same way like like the sun is fire like it's like a lot of you know light and more of like the combination illusion and uh like the ability to transfigure what you see because that's what light is and also just if you need it lots and lots and lots of fire um and i was also imagining like i was kind of like mixing up because i've always like uh had like the phoenix character in mind and then surreal comes up and i'm like you took that from me will <laughs> <laughs> that's that's mine you can't do that that's mine uh except the phoenix in this one is more of a healer whereas like i like i oh you know i'm my this is so vulnerable like this is like showing like your 14 year old like oh this is so embarrassing <laughs> but let's be earnest and not embarrassed you know but the combination of like i love the idea of like the the theme is like light and heat and fire and even life but also like the imagery of death so i love like like the black jackal mask and a black scythe so i was like mm. that's this has been my one of my ocs for like you know they never told anyone because <laughs> it's because it's very childish but like it sounds very like cool though oh my god shannon so cringe oh my god <laughs> so cool. uh, and and that's that's kind of what I envision is like it's the the combination of like you know the black death imagery but with fire and light and uh, illusion. So nice. yeah, I have been so I wrote a well, I started writing a cradle fan fiction years ago. Um, and I got mm -hmm. like four pages in, but I did a lot of the setup work of what it was going to be. <laughs> it's called Path of the Storm Chaser is the one that I'm picking, and this was before Ooh. lightning. <laughs> Parts. Ian's looking really put off. <laughs> Before <laughs> the, I did not mind, I was stolen it. <laughs> You'll find out. We'll yeah. find out. And uh, this was before lightning paths started becoming more prevalent in the story, so I thought it was a super original idea. But it's like basically okay. you go around 
chasing storms, getting lightning uh, aura, and then the path was very focused on. It was kind of a, a duality. I had like a whole ACDC thing going on, but but basically it just it it, it focused on <laughs> like really quick bursts of power. So the enforcement techniques are like you could just move super quickly, but for like just once and then you've kind of got to retreat because you then you're then stuck at normal speed until you get out of there you know it's obviously shoot lightning rule the techniques where you hit everyone around you with lightning uh just you know just the whole the whole lightning fast stuff but like super quick bursts of power and then you got to get out of there if, it, if it's not enough love that yeah hey my idea, like, I, I originally was going to go with one of the Destiny themes, <laughs> similar to, to what Shannon was going with, but the idea I have is, it's going to be stupid because I came up with the name in, like, the time it was There's no stupid, stupid. just no stupid. earnest, <laughs> earnest <laughs> love for... <laughs> the idea I came up with was the Path of Stone Glacier. Ooh, Ooh. Which is, doesn't actually involve water, it's stone and blood. Ooh. Ooh. path and the idea is that you are very slow but you are also unstoppable force it's covering yourself in stone armor and healing quickly and having one of those iron bodies that are extremely tough though so so there are no like shooting magic techniques just purely body enforcement and anchoring yourself to the ground covering yourself in as much armor as possible and Raising your own strength, so you would forward. You swing giant weapons that are too massive for normal humans to hold, like oversized hammers and clubs. Yes, and because you are slow, you're not likely to hit all of them. Even if you whiff, you are tough enough that you can withstand any position. When you do hit, you're just going to smash your enemy. Yeah, love it. I'm immediately for you. Sorry, Ian. For you, I'm immediately imagining Path of the Storm uh, Chaser versus Path mm -hmm. of the <laughs> the Stone Glacier, and I'm like, I'm like, man, yeah, I wouldn't be able to like get through defense, but like, I'm also getting out of there, so I'm like, man, this would be a, it'd be a, it's, yeah, it's, I would not catch uh, you. Yeah, yeah. You would avoid each other on the battlefield. Storm. Yeah, it's a lightning storm over a lightning rod. It's just it keeps hitting. Yeah, and nothing happens. And nothing <laughs> happens. Yeah. Then, then the lightning storm moves on, and the lightning rod is not. <laughs> yeah, he, he's there. like. Give chase. Yeah. <laughs> Scene. So, I also have a storm path. I don't have a name for this because uh, names are hard. But it's a storm and sword path with a tiny bit of dream in there. Um, it's a lot about like forging like a blade of lightning and like storm cloud armor, but also kind of like making autonomous constructs that look the same as you that can also fight so kind of like the oh, i am cool. like a force of many mm. okay cool. i like so, that like, yeah. so it's like yeah because i like the aesthetics of storms and lightning and yeah. also i would go sage first and i would go <laughs> for the winter icon <laughs> oh yeah i we haven't thought about icons about, yeah we could have talked about mm -hmm. icons like what what we want I have no idea. But, I... Yeah, there's so many we don't know, right? Yeah, yeah. That's the thing. You kind of get to make them up because he's like, uh, if if someone if there's no icon that's been manifested before, and someone does something where they want to manifest icon, they just manifest like you. It just makes a new one. Like, 
guess if if we can make like a fortress icon, then that would probably be the end goal. I of bet you. Like, yeah. I bet you there's a fortress you... icon. Mm-hmm. So, so it's like that's kind of the the Titan icon. Mm. Is it's all yeah. about like defense? Yeah. Yeah. Love it. So I did just realize that for all that I was talking about not making it like Destiny and moving on from making it like Destiny. Uh, the whole Titan like mo- not moving Sentinel. is very much destiny. <laughs> <laughs> the whole like Titan class actor archetype Except- is this immovable force. Yeah, I- icons are a bit like shards, aren't they? A little bit. Yeah, a little uh, bit. It's sort of like there's a central idea that you can kind of reach and draw on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Cool. We we talked about paths and we talked about ways, and paths are a way to the way. There's probably a metaphor there that we have overlooked yeah. collectively, but we are too dumb to underlook it now. So yeah. we are going to wrap this episode up. Episode one of Offshoot Ooh. Cast, Off Topic Cast, Splinter Cast, that's what we decided to call it. Yes. Are we going to have more episodes? We don't know. Are you still with us 17 hours into the recording? <laughs> we also don't know. Are there other media properties you want us to cover? Yes. We it's very don't casual. Care. They're not going <laughs> to promise anything. Yeah. Uh, this is kind yeah. of, but we'd be curious if there was anything you were curious about. But if uh, sometimes it just won't line up, we'll just try and see what happens. Yeah. No. This is this is our show where we're like, hey, we wish we could talk about this thing, and also put it on in the internet for other people to listen to us talk. Yeah. Uh, we've talked about doing like Marvel things and like yeah. I think I think Dresden podcast is likely like when the new book comes out because we are a lot of us are fans things like that yeah yeah I, i'd love to do one about like mmos but i don't know if there is an mmo uh, out there where enough of us play it among the the shortcasters we'll too yeah rasa me and you will uh, do a, we'll do a 40k one when last book of siege of terror comes out <laughs> just, <laughs> just, <laughs> but this is this is uh, very like informal and structured, right? Uh, you're not losing any shortcasts or anything like that. This is in addition to everything else. And with that, I will take us out of this episode by plugging uh, several places where we are online. That includes our website, soundtr.com. We are on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr. I was going to say Ice Cloud, SoundCloud. <laughs> uh, we are on Patreon, where we do art and sometimes outtakes and sometimes early takes of things. We are on Instagram, where we sometimes share art, but mostly share our own art commissions. We are on Discord, where most of the conversation in our community happens these days. In fact, I believe we still have a, a cradle thread or dread god. Maybe. Thread, maybe. Unless we've I think it got it's archived. archived now. Yeah, okay. it's archived now. Okay, uh, but maybe if this episode comes out after Waybound, this will be true once again because we'll probably pick one because we're Cradle yeah. Cradle Gang's big gang, big gang. Watch Diceborn and also watch, watch uh, Span Reads. Uh, watch we're Span not, Reads. We're, we're not just shortcast anymore. We have other shows. Watch them. The big operation we are these days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Any any other plugs? That you want to plug into my outro? You got him. You got him. Fantastic. Then, then let's 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 get out of here. Bye. 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 Who's gonna Thanks call? Thanks for endearing oh. us. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Call. Call.